Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to another episode of True Crime and Cocktails Famous Fatalities Edition. As always, I am your host, Lauren Ash, and as always, I am joined by my co-hostess with the most S, Christy Oxborough. How you feeling? Um, you know, I'm I'm good. I'm good. Ah. I tonight is my last night in quarantine. Hey, that's nice. And you know what? I figured since I spent my first night in quarantine with you, it makes sense. Yeah to spend my last night in quarantine with you also we're bookending uh, it. we, we are nice. we are the fact that we aren't bookending it together is the true travesty here i i see the light at the end of the tunnel and it's sunlight and i'm <laughs> i'm ready i can't wait for you to be able to to feel the sun on your skin again <laughs> i i have already like built up a list of potential errands i could run tomorrow just to be like you know, get outside, feel air. And then I immediately got anxious and went, I haven't driven a car in a month. Will I know how? And it's like, you're gonna be fine. I might make my husband do it, but that's not the point. The point is we're gonna, we're gonna drive somewhere. I'm gonna roll that window down and like an excited pup, just maybe a little bit head out the window, feel that breeze and away I go. Listen, you've done great work. Now, I got to ask you, because you have been finishing up this quarantine, obviously, in Canada, and the the Canadian rules are, of course, very strict. I know other people that I know, the government did check in on them to make sure that they were actually quarantining, etc. Did did the government check in on you? They've called me a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard this. There was, like, it's an 800 number that's just like an, an automated thing, but it's very long. It's a very, very long phone call. And then they called me, like, a local number called me 
the other day, but I didn't get it. And they haven't called me back. So I don't know if they were just like going to check in and then went, eh, let it go. I don't know. But I mean, the true joke is tonight's it. So yeah, they have like TikTok. You got like three hours (laughs) and who knows? I mean, the plan is right now that when we're done this, I will stumble over and just sleep in that bed. But I'm not going to lie to you. I might cheat the system and sleep in my own actual bed. I don't know if it's cheating the system after you've spent literally 14 days in a cave. I think that as of midnight, I think that it's over. Like, I think you've done your time. I mean, I think in a court of law, that would hold up. According to the app that I have to log into and chart how I feel uh, physically, not mentally. Sure. I'm sure there's an app for that, too. I it said that today is day 14. So I should there you I go. should be free to go as of midnight as far as I'm concerned. So I'm like, you know what? That might be my treat to myself. Should I have warned my husband? Probably. But he's going to hear me like not so stealthily entering that room very, <laughs> very loudly forgetting where furniture is because I don't remember my own home. <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. But. Well, listen, your dedication uh, to the podcast, to all of this is, again, we salute you. We salute you. Uh, You really did a go above and and beyond. That was what I was going to say. Above and beyond. (laughs) Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I have cracked my cut water uh, tequila margarita drink now. You'll love this. I made an order because in Los Angeles, California, you can get anything delivered. Anything you want. And I made an order to try some different flavors. So I ordered some of the margaritas. As everyone knows, these are my favorite. Yeah. But I, I I, put some different flavors in the cart. And when they came to my home, they were like, we're so sorry. There was a mix up. <laughs> so instead of having three different kinds, they just brought me three packs of these. And I was like, it's meant to be. The other ones were like a lower percentage of alcohol. Oh. So there's one that's like tequila, lime, and soda, which I was like, oh, that would be like a... And it's, you know, I think it's like 7%, whereas these are 12 and a half. So I was like, you know what? That feels like a responsible beverage to have. Yeah. You know, have one of these and then have one of those. Well, best laid plans. They brought me all these. So buckle in, everybody, because that's the wild ride we're on. This is bigger than you. It felt meant to be. Yeah. I mean, they showed up at my home. So I was like, well, I guess it's that's it. Like a match made in heaven, these star-crossed lovers. <laughs> No matter what, even if we will overcome a great divide to be together. Now I have to ask you the question on everyone's mind, which is what you drinking over there? I, uh, because I get my drinks, I I too get my drinks delivered. (laughs) (laughs) It's not as fun as it sounds. It's my husband. Well, my husband probably doesn't think so. I, I'm doing just like classic Pompeii. Of course. And... I'm also using one of my uh, reusable face masks as a coaster. So that's where I'm at mentally. (laughs) Well, if it makes you feel any better, I've had a bit of a bear of a day Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I ran out of time to shower. That's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. Now, for those of you who may be watching this, if you'd like to watch the unedited Zoom episodes of True Crime and Cocktails, go to truecrimeandcocktails.com. My hair might look odd or off or like, is the color weird? The answer is I just dumped so much dry shampoo in here and just started like giving it a giving it a good kind of like scrub in. But but just to encapsulate for everyone to kind of get an idea of where I'm at mentally, I put way too much of this dry shampoo in so I mean there was just so much white powder in my hair 
And then I started roaming the house looking for my boyfriend to do a bit of like, hey, is there anything? <laughs> is there anything in my hair? Like, and and then he was in the bathroom. So I um, I we have two bathrooms. So then I was like, oh my god! Like then I had that moment of, what are you doing right now? Like, <laughs> you've this isn't a funny joke. It's not a bit worth doing. And then he came and found me when he was done, and he was like, hey, did you have something you wanted to ask me? And I was like, don't worry. <laughs> So again, to answer your question, yeah, I mean, mentally, I'd say a maybe a maybe a three out of ten. <laughs> look, I'm gonna say it because I know the people are thinking it. You always look lovely. Isn't she lovely? Thank you so much. Can't afford it. I appreciate that. And look, if you're worried about streaks, I can start because these are all natural, baby. So if we, <laughs> I don't know where they are, but somewhere in there, my hair is very white. There we go. There we go. Oh, no. Now I feel like a shampoo commercial. I am losing my mind. You're in good company. Yeah. You're in good company. Yeah. Now, for those of you wondering, this episode, of course, we are going to talk about Alonzo Brooks. And if that name sounds familiar to you and you can't quite put your finger on why, the answer is because Alonzo Brooks was covered in an episode of Unsolved Mysteries that's currently on Netflix, one of the new ones, called No Ride Home. Now, some people have reached out to us often asking, you know, we've gone back through your catalog. Where's the No Ride Home episode? Well, we talked about this case on my old podcast, uh, and so we didn't want to repeat it when we started doing this podcast. But, and I'm very excited that I get to say this, update. Nice. There's been an update to the case. So we thought it would be great to tackle this again, because since that was also like the first time Christy and I even dipped our toe into talking about this kind of thing, let's just say (laughs) we've come a long way, baby. Uh, So Christy thought, you know, it would also be fun for her to get to kind of take another look at this. And now if you're looking for it, you're going to be able to find it in our repertoire. So we were talking, of course, in this case, of course, uh, the unfortunate uh, death of Alonzo Brooks, which has now been, the case has been reopened, which is part of the update. Spoiler alert, but that is, you know, that's not, that's not the spoiler. (laughs) Uh, just go with me. Yeah. It's I'm it's rocky. I'm on <laughs> rocky ground. Uh, anyway, so this, of course, is a story that takes place with him going to a party out in the country. Yeah. In a kind of rural area. And so we were kind of talking about this before we recorded. Because I was saying, you know, in high school, I did live in an area that, uh, like, my high school serviced a lot of country, like, very rural kind of areas kind of bust into my high school so there were I remember these similar kinds of parties to the one that that was kind of involved in this case but I also remember I only ever went to a couple of them and I kind of found them terrifying because it's like our ride it was like you know 20 to 30 minute drive so like we'd get dropped off and then it's like your ride goes away and then this is before cell phones or or with very kind of primitive cell phones for, for me at the time So then it also just, and of course the police are very far away. It just felt like, I just remember feeling very kind of uneasy in general at those parties. But I think that's probably also more of a female experience than maybe the the males in in this story kind of felt. But Chrissy, you were saying too that you don't really remember going to parties like this, right? Oh no, I was never invited anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) She can laugh at it now, folks. She can laugh at it now. (laughs) No, I, yeah, I didn't really go anywhere. I mean, there was the time in like the ninth or 10th grade uh, where I went with friends to see Romeo and Juliet at the theater 
twice because I was on a bit of a Leonardo DiCaprio fix at the time. Thank you very much, young Blanche. Yeah, and that's the joke. Blanche has grown with him because Mm. at the time I thought he was the living end. And looking back at it, I'm like, ah, he's just a boy. But looking at him now, I'm like, I get it. You know, like he's a he's a boy who became a man. Yeah. Blanche and I have both grown uh, and he's the example of that because we've grown together. And I think it's a beautiful thing. It is. It is a beautiful thing. And so, I mean, I didn't I didn't do a lot of parties. I just that wasn't who I am. I mean, sure. I hit legal age and got a little crazy uh, with the bar. But other than that, (laughs) like prior to that, as teenager, I, I I did so, so little outside my own home. So I, when we were talking about this, I was like, I, I've got nothing. I, I think I'd be too terrified to go somewhere where it's like, I, I need to know I can, at the worst case, walk home. And if I'm that far, I don't know if yeah. I can walk home, you know? Oh, yes. Now, certainly the, the, the parties that I'm talking about and the party that's involved in this case, that was not a walk-home situation at all. Well, then, so then we, we proceeded to continue to reminisce. I'd be remiss if I didn't reminisce about this. It's about us when we were little kids. Remember that? Shout out to episode... <laughs> I don't remember what episode that was from. Do you? Oh, God. I mean, I'm gonna... I don't know, like six... No, no, six was the Halloween one. Was it earlier than that or later than that? I think it was later than that. Let's go with eight. I don't know. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, again, you could tell me literally any episode right now, and I would assume that that was the truth. I I don't know. I don't know when it was. Yeah. Again, gun to my head, I have no idea. But anyway, so we were talking about how old would we have been? I think I would have been 15 or 16. So you would have been like 16, 17. Sounds right, yeah. And Christy came to visit me, and uh, when I was, I was still in Belleville, Ontario. Thank you very much. Shout out to the B dot. Uh, and I remember my high school boyfriend at the time. He and his family lived very far from town, very remote. I want to say at least a half an hour drive, if I remember correctly. And the house, they kind of had this this really giant kind of plot of land and the house that they were living in they were like really renovating at the time too so the whole bathroom situation was not great there was literally like an outhouse and uh christy and i decided that for what or or no i'll 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 own it i decided for some reason that we should go and hang out there overnight and, you know, yeah. it was beautiful out there. I mean, again, like it, the stars, again, we're talking like this is very rural. <laughs> but what I didn't realize was is that Christy has a real aversion to <laughs> porta potties, for lack of a better term. Am yeah. I wrong? Outhouses, no. porta potties, those kinds of things. Yeah. And so I can't remember like what the exact timing was that we were arriving or when we were leaving. But long story short, we were there for 24 hours, I believe around um i mean we went to school that day right and then i think it was after school we went there and then we spent the night and got dropped off at your house the next morning that's right and it's far enough that it's like you kind of have like you can't go out there and come back in the evening like you kind of got to spend the night because it's it's you know it's a lot of driving for your parent to potentially to like 
drive a half an hour to get you, drive an hour, half an hour back. It may have even been longer than that. I can't remember. Long story short, we were there 24 hours. Chrissy didn't pee the entire time. <laughs> she held it, which in retrospect, I don't think, I don't know, like one, impressive, but two, I don't yeah. know if that's healthy. No, I, I, I mean, I can't believe I made it. It, I have never made that since. And I don't know if that was the moment my bladder was like, oh, that, that was your peak. It's all down here from here. I worry that we did damage. That's what I worry. Oh, oh no. If there's any damage, it was kids. <laughs> <laughs> I, Fair enough. I, yeah, I don't, I, the, the joke is like, I, we, we went to school. I think I went to the bathroom when I first woke up and then we went to school and I didn't have to go all day because, ah, blissful teens. And then I just, I guess I was just like, didn't think ahead. Whereas now I'm like, if you're going to leave the house, empty the tank. Yep. Whereas at the time I was just like, whatever, there's bathrooms everywhere, man. Well, not always, man. (laughs) Uh, And then we got there and it was like, okay, I've got to go. But I think by the time I had to go, it was dark. And then it was like, oh, you just have to take that trail. And I was like, I'm back that up. You have to take a trail to get there. Like it wasn't it wasn't far, but I was just like, no, I I I won't, I won't get in a smelly box. I won't do it. I just can't. I just yeah, can't. I get. That. Have I have I since once, and that was just taking my kids to the park, and there just happened to be construction nearby, so there was like a porta potty there, and I I was I became suddenly very ill. <laughs> Thank God it was there. So I Hold have on. been forced to use one. So you're telling me that that in your life you've only used a porta potty once? I mean, I maybe have used one maybe at like a concert or something, but to the best of my recollection, uh there was also a canoe trip when I was in like the seventh grade. And my dad, for some reason, volunteered to be one of the people who would drive the porta potty to and from uh and it was an overnight trip and i just recall being like not interested <laughs> just no thank you so yeah it's just it's it's a thing i have i guess i don't think i'm alone there i don't think you're alone there either but i'm just saying like what a what an amazing existence to only have potentially used a porta potty once in your entire life oh i'm sure that's the reason i can barely hold it now <laughs> <laughs> So you're not blaming your kids 100% anymore. I see where this is going. Oh, no. If anybody asks, I, I'll blame them. Of course. But then but then deep down, it's it's like you say it loudly. You're like, oh, what's the reason? Oh, it's my kids. And I was really terrible about my bladder in my youth. You know, like just... <laughs> and bladder mistreatment. You right. know, like that's Bladder just... mistreatment. Just a light bladder <laughs> mistreatment. Oh, that's nice. What I like is that now... Well, it's also because we're drinking, so that's also, I'm, I'm yeah. sure, a different thing. But now it's like we can't get through an episode of this show. Like there's times where we have to be like, I have to go. And we have to pause and get that edited out because it's like there's no... There's just no way around it. Uh, yeah. And also we do a monthly live Q&A. It, we call it our uh, boozy brunch with your besties. Now that's over on Patreon. If you haven't subscribed to our Patreon and you'd like to learn more, go to patreon.com slash truecrime cocktails but but it's you know the the amount of time kind of varies we've only done a couple of them but what we've decided now is we have to we have to allow bathroom breaks because the first month Mm -hmm. we were just like we have to just barrel through just keep going no matter what and then last month we were just like no we we have to take bathroom breaks because you know an hour and a half when you're drinking 
brunching, et cetera. It's just not realistic. Oh, I, and this is going to be too much information. So stop I, now. Folks. I welcome it. I welcome it. No joke. That last brunch, I spent a good five minutes having a conversation in my head where I was like, how much do I like this chair? I could clean it, right? Like, I genuinely was like, would people notice if I just <laughs> if I just fully wet my pants right now? And if it's you like, just let it go. Yeah, and I was like, but what stopped me, not that that's like awful and terrifying and just like, <laughs> excuse yourself and go. Sure. But the thing that stopped me was like, ah, but I like this chair. What if I never get the smell out? And you know what? That is the smell of your human urine. I, I mean, it's not something I'm familiar with getting out of upholstery, which is a gift, I think, in my life that I haven't crossed that boundary. So I think that that was wise. I think that also, you know, we shouldn't have to live in a world where we have to debate throwing out cha- chairs and other pieces of furniture. We should just be allowed to take a break, I think is the point. Yeah, And that's I a metaphor that- for in general. It never dawned on me that I would throw it out. <laughs> I just assumed I'd find a way. It's like, I don't know, get a new chair. Like, stop it. The the point is I've learned now, just just do your best. You can make it. Yes. And now ah, you I I went once with 24 hours. Now, lucky if I can do one. (laughs) Yeah. 24 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Heaven help me if I'm out somewhere. It's drastically less than that. I don't know why. I don't know how it works. Bladder mis- mistreatment? Is that what I called it? Light bladder bladder mistreatment, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's why. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Well, listen. We live and we learn. We live and we learn. Yeah. Let's get into it. Of course, we are going to be talking about the new Unsolved Mysteries episode, No Ride Home. This is, of course, talking about the case of Alonzo Brooks. So to get you back up to speed... On April 3rd, 2004, a group of friends drove an hour to attend a party on the edge of a small town in Kansas. Throughout the night, the friends became separated, and the next day they learned that 23-year-old Alonzo Brooks never arrived home. When the friends returned to the scene the next day, the only things they found were Alonzo's hat and boots. A month later, Alonzo's body was found less than 300 feet from where the party had been, despite the fact that police had searched the area multiple times. So what happened to Alonzo Brooks? Was he the target of a hate crime? Do his friends know more than they're claiming? Or is the small town covering for one of their own? Pulitzer level writing. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you know what? I, uh, I'll take it. I, I worried about this one, but this is, it's weird because it's, we're revisiting. Right? Yes, like it's it's really weird to go back and you're going to love this. I'm going we had what well, we have on our website, uh, truecrimeandcocktails.com. Thank you. The virtual case files for each episode. And because we had kind of covered this on the other podcast, we had in there in season one, we called it episode zero. And we had my case file for that. And I went and looked at it. Because I've decided I'm just going to use that case file, rename it, change up some stuff, add some things, whatever. And I went to it and I burst out laughing at myself. And I was like, that's a case file? (laughs) Okay, Christy. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, uh, I I was just, I was a baby. I had yet learned, I had yet learned to walk. 
And now, now this bitch is running and is like, what was I thinking? Like, I looked at it and I was like, like three things? Okay. Case file. <laughs> like, I got really uh, harsh at myself for it. But don't worry. If you go to it now, it will uh, be a lot more full and have a lot Flourishing. more things. Flourishing. So it is what it is. But listen, it's, I love it's, it. it's nice to come back. It's nice to circle back, read things that I'm familiar with. Look at the notes that I made that were all over the place. Like, I don't know how I made it through that episode in one piece because I didn't give myself any help there. <laughs> like, it was amazing to to look at. I was like, I can barely read these notes. I make my notes a lot different than I did even like in season one. So to go back back was, it was a real uh, learning venture for me <laughs> well listen the good news uh for you and the listeners is 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 that what yeah. everyone's thinking is oh if, if you're you know going over some of this that you've talked about before will lauren have any big reactions uh and the answer is i don't remember anything from last week's episode <laughs> this is so long ago now for me and my brain is so clogged with tequila resin that i and mcdonald's nugs i think uh <laughs> honestly we have nothing to worry about is the point because I really don't remember much. I remember a few small details, but I, I truly yeah. don't. So this is going to be a fun, a fun ride for me. Once it's, it's kind of like I have, it's like, um, this will be like memento, you know? And it's like, I'm following the tattoos. on my body. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the great news is I'm bringing a lot of new stuff. Never that thought I you wouldn't find before. Never thought you wouldn't. Never doubted you. And everyone's going to be like, oh, but your funnest reveal, we already know what it is. And it's like, that reveal goes beyond what you think that reveal was originally. So Whoa. buckle in. These are, there's going to be a lot of the same, but at the same time, they're going to be two completely different episodes. So if you have recently listened to that episode, never fear. There's going to be enough other stuff in this. It's going to be like a whole new day for you. All right, let's just get into it. So let's start with yeah. Alonzo. Give me, give me some background. All right. This is already stuff I know I didn't bring in the first time, and I'm embarrassed by it. But again, she's grown. She's grown. On May 19th, 1980, Alonzo Tyree Brooks, better known as Zoe, was born in Topeka, Kansas to Billy Brooks Sr. and Maria Ramirez. He was their fifth child. Alonzo graduated from high school in Topeka and moved about 58 miles, that's 93 kilometers, uh, away to Gardner in about 99-2000 to work for a janitorial company owned by his stepfather, Stuart Porter. Alonzo was known for his sense of humor, his love of the Kansas City Chiefs, and for being, quote, the easiest guy in the world to get along with. Alonzo was described as laid back, a good friend, and a clean freak. Alonzo's family shared some stories about him, and I think my favorite was they said one afternoon he decided he was going to get a tattoo. Uh, so leading up to it, he just kept saying, I'm a man. I got this. I got this. And the second the needle touched his arm, he jumped up and went, I'm good. <laughs> and so from that moment on, he would proudly show off a tiny dot as his tattoo. And it made me think of that episode of Friends when Phoebe and Rachel go to get tattoos and Phoebe 
freaks out and gets the tiniest dot and then tries and tells Rachel, oh, it's the view my mother has from heaven of earth or whatever. And then Rachel's all worried that Ross is going to get upset about this tattoo. And she's like, oh, I just got a tiny one. Phoebe got the whole world. Uh, <laughs> and that stuck with me. And that's an episode I haven't probably seen in well over a decade, but it's still there. I could not on the spot, gun to my head, tell you what episode we recorded a week ago. Mm-hmm. But not even like you wouldn't even have to get the gun out if you wanted to ask me about a specific Friends episode. I could probably t- help you out with that. You know? I think it uses a different part of our brain or something. I don't know. Because I'm the same. Yeah. yeah. We are who we are. Yeah. So on the night of April 3rd, 2004, Alonzo was invited to a party by some friends. Alonzo's mother, Maria, said the, that Alonzo told her the party was for someone going into the service. Mm. Apparently, one of the guys who rented the house where the party was being held used to live in Gardner. So we think that's the loose connection they had to the house, which is how they potentially got to this party. A thing to note, a week before this party, Alonzo hurt his ankle playing basketball, so he wore an extra pair of socks rolled down to kind of help pad his ankle in his boots, but at the time he had a slight limp at the night of the party. So the party is remembered as a very spontaneous event. The friends said Alonzo didn't usually party with them as Alonzo was a few years older, Uh, At the time, Alonzo was 23 years old. The friends in question were 19-year-old Justin Sprague, 18-year-old Tyler Bruhard, and 19-year-old Daniel Fune. I probably butchered all of those names, but I... It is what it is. So in order to get to this party, these friends had to drive approximately 50 miles, 81 kilometers, which would take just under an hour. For reasons that were never explained... The group took as many vehicles as possible and drove in a convoy to this party. Now, I have read that Alonzo did not know how to drive at this point, so he rode with Justin. Daniel went with somebody or on his own, it's tough to say, and then Tyler drove with someone named Nikki, and then there was or was not somebody named Adam. We will get into that. So we know there were at least six of them, and they took at least four separate cars, and they're driving an hour to get to a party. So I understand that you want to be able to make an exit when you need to. I just don't understand for that distance, and for the sake of gas money, how are you not just all piling in a vehicle to take as few vehicles as possible? Like, I find that crazy, like, especially at the age. Now it's like... Oh, yeah, you all take your own vehicle because you got that one friend who can be out till like midnight. But the rest of you are like, I'm I'm done and it's nine. Uh, So you want to be able to leave. But in this case, when you're like 18, 19, just all go together. Right. Like I find it weird to me and that it was never explained why. And it was never explained who all went. And we'll get into more of my complaints about that later. Mm hmm. So Daniel estimated the party crowd to be about 16 to 21 years old and says people were playing drinking games, cards, and some were dancing. Justin later recalled that Alonzo walked into the party and yelled, who wants a beer? Uh, Which he claims was a very Alonzo thing to say, because also at this point, Alonzo was the only one in his friend group over the age of 21. Mm. 
So he right. was the only one who could buy beer. So I wonder if that's why he that was his thing because he was the one who got the beer. Right. So he, he should be the one. Been. He should be able to be the hero, right? Right. So Daniel and Tyler both claimed there were about 30 to 50 people at the party and that they knew only six to eight people. Investigators say there were about 100 people at the party and that the house, which was rented out at the time, had become known for underage parties. So shortly after the party in question, the men who rented the house were evicted. One of these men supposedly was a man in his 20s who was originally from Gardner. Apparently, they possibly went to high school together. I'm not 100%. It's interesting to me because, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Unsolved Mysteries episode never mentioned the fact that the house was rented, right? I don't think so, no. That was so odd to me. Or was. That is so odd to me now. (laughs) Good Lord. But you know what I mean? Like, that's really, that feels like an important detail. That it wasn't somebody's house that someone that they knew lived in or that an acquaintance lived in or even a stranger lived in. It was literally a rented house that it sounds like, again, correct me if I'm wrong, it was rented for the purpose of this party. I don't know. I mean... He very well, like they say, like the people, it had been known for parties and that they were evicted. So I have a feeling that they lived, these people lived there and just constantly had parties. And then the people who own the house were like, this is going to get us in trouble. You got to stop. And then they got kicked out. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. But still, again, knowing that it wasn't like, you know, a family's house that the parents were away for the weekend and there's a big party going on. Right. No, this is... Some people who were renting this house, it was not theirs. Yeah. Which I also think is is interesting also to note just because I do think that there is a different feeling when you're renting a place that you live in versus you own it. I think that, you know, you, there's a certain level of, I don't know, pride, all those kinds of things. Like, um, I can just see again, like, me having a party in a place that I rented versus a party in a place that I owned would be very different personally now granted I wouldn't trash any place that I lived in obviously but you know what I'm saying I just feel like it's interesting again like context for state of mind for the the people who threw the party who again who knows anyway 100% so the gardener convoy arrives at this party it's at a farmhouse less than a mile from Lacine a small town with a population around a thousand it, in 2010, it was 1,149. I could not find 2,004 numbers, so we're just going to say around 1,000. Yeah. For context, Gardner, Kansas, has about 19,000 people. Okay. So this is a considerably smaller town than what they're used to. Got it. So Daniel and Tyler recalled feeling tension at the party to the point where there was a brief fight after someone shouted racial slurs at Alonzo. Daniel even claims that he stepped in to break it up. And I'm realizing now in this moment, it should be noted for those who aren't aware, Alonzo Brooks was African-American. Yes. And according to witnesses, he was possibly only one of three non-white people at this hundred plus people party. Yeah. Uh, Something else to note, Alonzo's friend Rodney, who did not attend the party, said that if someone had said the N-word to Alonzo, Alonzo would not have backed down and he would have, he definitely would not have stayed there and partied after something like that. Right. But again, Rodney wasn't there, so we don't know. But 
Rodney knew him a lot longer than the friends he went with, but again, who knows? So Daniel and Tyler say there's almost a fight. Justin, who drove Alonzo there, says he didn't notice any animosity whatsoever. In fact, he claims they spent most of the party together. Uh, he recalled nothing out of the ordinary. They talked, drank, danced, and got high. Daniel says he was, the on he was only at the party for about an hour and a half when he heard about another party, and he left with his ride, Nikki. This is the only time Nikki is ever mentioned. Mm. Tyler says he was there for about 45 minutes, maybe an hour, and left around 11 p.m. Both claim that Alonzo, who was normally quiet, was very outgoing and in a great mood when they left. Now, we don't know a time frame here, but I've read it was somewhere between possibly 12 a.m. and 1 a.m. All we know for sure is that Daniel and Tyler had already left at this point. So Justin decides he wants a cigarette, but he realizes he's out, so he goes to bum one off of Alonzo, but Alonzo's out too. So Justin decides to head to town for cigarettes. Again, this town is less than a mile. We're talking 0.9 miles away. So Justin tells Alonzo he's going to get cigarettes. Alonzo says, hey, get me a pack. So Justin drives down this long driveway, and instead of turning left towards Lacine, he turns right. Now, from my understanding, they had never been to this place before, so it's possible he just simply went the wrong way. A town that size probably didn't have a ton of light coming from it, so maybe at the end of the driveway, it looked dark in either direction. But assuming that Justin knew it was just like a straight drive, you turn out of the driveway straight right to town, uh, going left, he would have hit US 69 after about three miles, 5.2 kilometers. So less than five minutes later. And what happens to be on that US 69? A gas station. Where you could buy cigarettes, potentially. Which is probably the only place at that time of night on a Saturday to buy cigarettes, assuming if it is open. But he never in the episode even says if he actually got to the place to buy cigarettes. He was on his way to get cigarettes is all we were ever told. Right. But Justin then says he got lost on some back gravel roads and he ended up about 30 minutes north of where he was meant to be going. I am jazzed that that part of his interview was filmed because when he says where he was going, he rolls his eyes and pauses before he says the word north. The timing of it, combined with the fact that he was constantly fidgeting with his hands, are indicators of somebody lying. Could he have been nervous filming an episode? Of course. Yeah. You know what else is a good indicator of lying? Changing your story mid-sentence. Mm. At one point, Justin says, quote, There hadn't been a single, maybe other than a couple couples bitching back and forth between each other, there was no issues. No issues. This is also the same guy who said, quote, there were people there who had problem with people's skin color. How would you know that if there were no issues? So just like, were there issues or not, Justin? But didn't you also it's... say that Justin specifically said he didn't witness a fight? Yeah. So, okay. So this is, all right. This is interesting now because, again, these, the, the, these details are very interesting. Tyler and Daniel say there was a fight that was brought on by potential racial comments correct justin saying he didn't see any fight but there was definitely racial tension yeah but 
also at the same time no animosity so weird okay he was, all, he was all over the place yeah so justin gets lost and he says his car gets stuck so he calls his friend adam who happens to be at the party and asks adam to give alonzo a ride home justin claims he could hear alonzo in the background mocking justin for getting stuck now adam is mentioned nowhere else in this episode it was just that brief moment of ad i called adam and right. then that was it right he was not interviewed for the episode. And I know some may say, you know what? Maybe Adam didn't want to be interviewed. And to that I say, for sure. But Unsolved Mysteries has been the type where if they ask someone and they turn them down, they will put a disclaimer on the screen that says so-and-so de declined to be interviewed. Right. But there was nothing. There's no mention of him anywhere. So I find that interesting. So Justin claims that his car got stuck. And so he made a phone call. One... It's in 2004, but, like, they all had cell phones at that point. Like, even then was still, like, fairly early cell phone. But, okay, I'll give them that. Yeah. Two, there was cell phone reception in the middle of nowhere. That is less plausible, definitely. Mm -hmm. Three, if he did get stuck, how'd he get out? Great question. Because then how did he get home is my question. And four... What place is open after 11 p.m. on a Saturday in a tiny town? Nothing. Even the gas stations. You I would mean, think by that point they'd be closed. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a town of, of just under 40,000 or it was around 40, 45,000, I think, when I was in high school. And I don't think our gas stations, there was maybe one or two around. I'm talking like 2004-ish. There was maybe one or yeah. two that stayed open, but the majority of them closed at like nine or ten i i don't think that my money would not be on a town of one thousands gas station being open 24 hours a day i i my money wouldn't even be on that it was open till midnight personally it's sketchy at best yes right? uh alonzo's mother maria later claims since the night of the party justin changed his story six different times whoa even Alonzo's best friend, Rodney English, said that Justin's story was totally different from the one that he had told Rodney right after Alonzo's disappearance. A side note, Rodney was living in Topeka at the time and had not met any of Alonzo's gardener friends until after Alonzo goes missing. Mm. But we'll get into that. Okay. So Rodney claims that Justin said, quote, he didn't say anything about getting lost. He said his car broke down and he had to fix it at the side of the road. It was something you couldn't even fix by yourself in the dark, like a broken axle or something. Justin is full of shit. That's mm. Rodney's quote. That is Rodney's quote. Got it. So I read that Justin had a friend with him in the car when he went for cigarettes. And the phone records show that he did, in fact, make a call to this supposed Adam. Again, I did not see these phone records for myself, so this could be complete bull. Someone also claims that surveillance cameras showed Justin and this unknown friend withdrawing $200 from an ATM because they decided to go to a strip club? I have more questions. One... Is there a strip club near this bustling metropolis of a thousand people? Great Two, question. The strip club let minors in? 
because Justin well, was 19 at the time. Yes, yes, you yes, you can get into a strip club down here if you are over 18, I believe, because mm-hmm. little known fact, strip clubs, here I'm going to blow your little Canadian mind. I can't strip wait. clubs in America, most of them do not sell alcohol depending on the state. Wow. Yes. So there are some that do, but it, again, the laws vary state to state. Also, you'll love this in some states, if they serve alcohol, then the women are only allowed to be topless. You can't be, if if it's a full nude, then no booze. Wow. Now, for, for Americans listening, for, for context, uh, and I'm not sure about other countries around the world, and I'd love to know about what the stripper laws are <laughs> in every country, but in Canada, like, you go to a strip club, like, it's it's the full Monty and it's a full bar. <laughs> like, it's... And when I first came here and I learned about this when I was living in Chicago, I will admit my initial response was, oh, my God, that's so much creepier. Like being super sober, super sober and just sitting watching. I don't know. Like to me that I don't know the tone of that is very different to me. Now, people may call me crazy, but, you know, again, in Canada, we grow up with. Not that I was frequenting strip clubs. I was not. But <laughs> but the idea of, you know, oh, people, boys especially, I mean, that's just the, the truth of where I grew up anyway. You know, you go and you party and you drink and then you go to the, they, they would go on to the strip club and drink there and keep partying. I understand that concept. But the idea of like, let's go sit sober and watch a woman take her clothes off in front of us. I don't know why that context is creepy to me, but it is. I'll, it's it's not a party anymore. Then do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know if this is making if I'm making any sense, but it just blew my mind. Is the point? So anyway, long story short, I I don't know again specifically what Kansas's rules were at the time, but it is possible that if they were over eighteen, they could get in because alcohol was probably not served there. What I like is I did not think at some point during this that I was gonna be like, well, I have some questions about. Strip clubs, and you would be like, and I'm here to answer those questions. <laughs> That's the magic I, that is, is this podcast. It is. That is the true crime and cocktails special sauce. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah. I don't know. Do you am I do you feel the same way I do? Like, I don't know. Like to me, that was like a, a revelation hearing that. I was just like, that changes the, the context for me. I mean, I get no, I don't. I don't get it. I get what you're saying because I, um, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Blanche has never been. Of course. There's, there's not a lot around here. So Blanche had never had the opportunity. Sure. Um, I don't know if Blanche has ever even been interested. It's just the whole idea is like, I'm not sure. But yeah, there's something about like, when you're drinking and there's music, it's like, okay, that's a different vibe. But when you're not drinking, it just feels like you're watching a pageant or something. Like it just, it takes it to another level that I, it it's like they can't see you seeing them, you know? It feels like there's two-way glass. Yeah. 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 And but in some cases, I feel like that would be... <laughs> That would be safer. I don't know. I don't know. It just, again, like, and I don't know if any other Canadians uh, listening feel the same way I do or or have ever had those revelations. But again, for me, it was like to hear that whenever I I did 10 years ago or whatever, I was just like, what? What do you mean? 
mean? Like, it just, I don't know. It just changes the context for me. It really does. And I understand that people could say, like, well, you pregame and you party and then you go. I get it. But to me, it's like, I don't know. Like, it just changes the context. That's that's my I mean, opinion. If you do pregame, at some point, if you're not continuing on, it's it's going to fade. And it's then gonna it's going to get even sadder. Yeah. Because then all you're going to want is that buffet. That's why they have a buffet. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like there's going to be a lot of uh, listener comments yep, about we're like get a lot. Mm-hmm. how how has she never gone to one? This is a travesty. She needs to get on this. And it's like, maybe I don't know. It Look, took me so long to watch Magic Mike. I don't know if I could see the real thing. <laughs> you know, sure. I, yeah, my he- my head might explode. I don't know. Yeah. Well. I don't necessarily want to tempt it. I don't want to tempt fate either. <laughs> Look, I don't like interactive yeah. dinner theater, so I, I feel like I, I get it. I also am like, no, thank you. Thank you very much. You're very attractive. Goodbye. Mm. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of uh, Nothing that. makes me more sick to my stomach than being somewhere and someone on a stage looks out into the audience and goes, do I have a volunteer? I will sink and become one with my seat. Yep. I do not want to be chosen. I don't want to get up there. I just am not here for that. Me That's neither. not who I am. Some people who want to do it, good for you. And if you want to, raise your hand a little higher so that they don't see me cowering in the back. Exactly. To the volunteers of the world, we appreciate you. And yes. you can do us, the non-volunteers of the world, a solid by putting your hand high and protecting us because we don't yeah. want to be involved. Okay, yeah. so I completely derailed us, but yes, back to the strip club. Okay, so this is very interesting though in terms of the case. So he's he's wo- okay. He's woven a story that he left Alonzo there being his ride. Yeah. He has acknowledged in this fake story that mm-hmm. well, I called. Also, like, why did you call your friend Adam? Like, why didn't you call Alonzo to say, "Hey, man, I'm not going to be able to drive you home." But again, maybe that's a cell phone situation. Maybe certain people had him, certain people didn't. I don't know. But my bigger point being, to me, if you are going to a strip club. Now, do we have confirmation that they did go into the strip club? I don't know. I've read that there is um, surveillance footage of it and like picture of them at an ATM taking out money. But I've never seen them for myself. Okay. Well, let's just, okay, let's, let's go on that information what are you gaining by lying? Because if this is, you know, somebody has died. So first yeah. of all, I, I'm just like, there's no reason not to tell the truth when someone that you know and seemingly had good feelings for, was a friend of, has died. The only reason you lie is because you have something that it is, you have a great interest in hiding, right? Yeah. And there seems to me that, what about the strip club? Like, like that's an alibi. You know what I mean? Like not to get, and I know I'm probably jumping ahead and, and I'll, I'll stop derailing us in a second. But my point being is like, to me, if he really did go with this other friend, he, he left this party, he left Alonzo kind of high and dry without a ride. But where he did go was to a strip club where people would have seen him, where there's a paper trail, where there's potential surveillance photos, videos, et cetera. 
like that only helps your case to prove that you weren't involved with the disappearance and now murder of your friend. So that's yeah. interesting to me. Like, what did you gain by making up that story? Yeah, that was the other thing I couldn't figure out. Like, is this why he lied about getting stuck because he didn't want to admit that he ditched Alonzo to go to a strip club? That's the only thing that I can think at face value. But I'm I'm putting a pin in this because my brain is starting to concoct mm-hmm. my own theories. But yeah, if if that's what it is, okay. But also, this person has died. Like, to me, you know, admitting that maybe you were a bad friend, but also proving that you had no part of the death might be in your best interest. Because now you've also lied. So again, back to my original point, which is nobody lies about those kinds of things without a vested interest. So if it was just that he didn't want to admit that he ditched Alonzo to go to a strip club, okay, but does that really feel like enough to, like, lie to the police potentially? Now, I don't know what story he told the police or didn't also. I, we're, we're going by things he said on Unsolved Mysteries in that yeah. interview versus hearsay from other people. But again, the fact that there is there does seem to be footage and, and proof that – he was with somebody else doing these other things. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm writing it down. I would just like to see the proof for myself. That would be, that would be great. So whoever, whoever has that theories at truecrimeandcocktails.com, not that whoever has that is actually listening, but that's just, it's my point. You never know. So I just want to know, like, did he get stuck on these gravel roads? Justin claimed that he had just enlisted in the army and he feared that a DUI might end his military career before it even started. Okay. So I guess that's why he didn't want to admit if he really got stuck, that's why he didn't want to admit it because it would have been he got stuck because he was under the influence and knew he'd get in trouble for it. But how could anybody prove that? And again, how did he get unstuck then if he did get stuck? Yeah. Um... But also, the party was for a guy who was going into the service. So, we know they weren't talking about Justin, right? Like, were they? Because now it's like, if it was a party for Justin, why the heck would he choose a town that he claims he never heard of before? Oh, interesting. You're saying that Justin, we knew that, you're saying Justin was going into the service, this party was in honor of someone going into the service, was this party in his honor? And no one has come forward with that information. Nope. That's an interesting thing to keep in Mm -hmm. mind as well. And then Justin also claims that what he heard was that Adam believed that Alonzo had already left, but he's not sure how they ended up missing each other. So everyone just kind of ended up going their separate ways. Um, I just, again, it's like, okay, so if somebody calls you and is like, hey, you need to be his ride home now. Right. And then it's like, you get to a point where you're like, huh, he's not here. I'll go. Like, I'm not saying you had to babysit him, but like, once it's like, oh, hey, you're his ride home. Like, make sure you guys stay in touch. So when you want to leave, you can be like, hey giving you a heads up, I'm ready to go, or whatever. Yeah. But I guess when this Adam went to leave, he couldn't find Alonzo and was just like, he assumed Alonzo got a ride home. 
My question is from who? Because everybody else supposedly had left. So who else would have driven him home? Great question. We'll get into my complaint over that at some point as well. Uh, So the next morning, someone calls Alonzo's house looking for him. When his mother Maria checks downstairs, she notices that his bed is undisturbed. Maria calls Rodney to see if he's heard anything from Alonzo. Rodney then drives from Topeka to Gardner to meet up with Justin, and the two of them drive to the farmhouse in Lacine to look for Alonzo. At first, they thought maybe he'd just passed out there. They both agreed it was out of character for him to stay out all night. When they arrived at the house, they noticed Alonzo's boots and hat near the end of the driveway. Alonzo's hat and one boot were found across the highway, and his other boot was found closer to the creek. Rodney said that Alonzo wouldn't go anywhere without his hat and boots. While looking around, someone approached them on a a four-wheeler and told them they had to leave. Alonzo's mother went to the sheriff's station to file a missing persons report and was told she needed to wait 48 hours and that Alonzo was, quote, probably just doing what kids do, just walking around, you know, in no shoes, and it had rained the night before, and he had a bad ankle. Bitch, please. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, like, that's what kids do, just walk around for 48 hours? Like, that's insane. It's ridiculous. So on the Monday after Alonzo goes missing, Alonzo's brother Billy and his wife go to check out the farmhouse and they say that it is empty and looks like a party never happened at all. Whoa. Which is crazy seeing how like somebody cleaned up really super fast. Maybe, but I don't Mm. know. Um, Police do a preliminary search saying that they didn't see Alonzo at the house. There was no indication that he was outside. Kansas Highway Patrol supplied a helicopter, and the department walked the area with air-scent tracking dogs. Police reported negative contact because they found nothing and no sign of him at that point. Right. I also just wish that the friends, when they found his stuff, that they had taken photos of it. But, of course, you're not in that mindset, whereas... Because of the podcast, I would always be in that mindset. But did they leave the stuff there? Did they just leave it where they found it? Or did they pick it up and take it with them? I think they picked it up and took it with them. Because the police have no report of seeing it anywhere. Well, that's a problem, too. Who has it? Justin? Right? Yeah. So, April 7th. 2004, the police hand the case over to the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, the KBI, who did an extensive search of the area, including the creek bed, with their evidence recovery team. Three days later, on April 10th, since it started to seem like Alonzo may have been the victim of a hate crime, the FBI joins the investigation. Then April 12th, Lee's Summit Underwater Rescue and Recovery was brought in to search nearby Middle Creek. They were on scene around noon and started at the bridge, which is right at the highway, and then walked upstream. They not only checked along the creek with three guys on either side, but also checked in the water. At its deepest points, the water was only about three feet deep in most areas. It was so low uh, that there was no way a body could have hidden there. When their search ended, they said they found nothing to indicate that a body was in the creek. They offered to come out and check again at some point, but were never invited back. 
The KBI and FBI conducted over 125 interviews. Investigators were told that two young men were overheard saying they were going to, quote, F up an N-word that night and that a fight had taken place around 3 to 4 a.m. However, they are not 100% sure on the time because the night of the party, overnight daylight savings time happened. So at some point, the time changed by an hour, so they can't tell. They could be off by an hour on multiple things. And also, everyone they're talking to is basically a drunk teenager, so who Good knows luck. what they're going to remember. Yeah. Right. Um. So it was very difficult at this point for police to create some sort of timeline. So at this point, police are finding nothing, and Alonzo's family are practically begging to search for themselves. They call the police daily. The sheriff at the time, Sheriff Marvin Stites, kept saying no. Then out of nowhere, on May 1st, 2004, 27 days after Alonzo goes missing, the sheriff finally agrees to let the family search the area. At this point, neither a dive team nor cadaver dogs had found anything, and the authorities had searched the area six separate times and found nothing. Alonzo's family and friends gathered to search the farmhouse property. Less than an hour into the search, closer to half an hour, Alonzo's body is found on top of a pile of brush and branches beside Middle Creek, less than 300 feet from the house, the same area that had already been searched by police multiple times. Bill Feller, um, who worked with the dive team, said, quote, If there had been a body here on that day that we searched, he would have been found that night. And I remember in the episode, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like he was also like he had kind of a vested interest in making it clear that it's like he also didn't want to make it seem like he was incompetent at his job. Right. Like he's like yeah. he has a business and his job is to just, you know, tragically look for recovering evidence, recovering bodies and whatnot. So the fact that, sure. that he personally checked that area and then later the person was found in an area that he searched i think it's in his interest to to make it clear that it's like that body has to have been placed there recently right because the whole point yes. is is that otherwise it makes him look again like he's bad at his job and so i just remember like really clocking that when watching the episode because i was like oh of course that makes sense like and it it did make they did make it seem to make it clear that it was like he was in an area where it feels impossible that it would have been missed right well especially the whole time yeah, yeah. i yeah. mean the body could not have been there the whole time. Um, even if there was the slightest chance that the humans didn't do their job properly, I 100% trust those cadaver dogs. <laughs> yeah. And maybe I have nothing to base this on. Maybe it's just the fact that dogs are pure and beautiful and I want to believe they do no wrong. Of course. Um, but I'm not saying I don't trust the humans. I just truly believe that multiple different people looked in that exact area and his body was not there yeah so his his body was placed it has to have been why specifically there i don't know but there's no way it was there because again that those cadaver dogs are gonna know if he was there right they're gonna know if he was in that area but they went through it there's no way the dive team would have missed it because again the deepest the water was was three feet and they went through it all they would have seen him. Well, and, and he here's was the, found slightly like to the side. Right. 
So again, they they found him so quickly, there's no way they wouldn't have found him the first day if he'd been there the whole time. Yeah. And listen, I know that I'm getting ahead of myself, but I also just feel like it's important to note, because this is where my mind is going, that it's interesting to me that the police were so uncooperative with Alonzo's family, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like, okay, you can search now. And then within a half an hour, they find his body placed in a place that it clearly was recently placed keep saying play how many times can you say placed you know what I'm saying though like mm-hmm. it just feels again I'm I'm sowing some seeds that I'm sure that you're going to to uh sow for me before I get a chance I'm taking that metaphor all nice. the way um <laughs> but it just that's to me that sticks out that it's like so wait a minute you've you've not been very warm or receptive to the family this entire time then mm-hmm. suddenly you go okay you can look now and his body is just kind of essentially like in a very obvious open place that feels mm-hmm. you know i fear nothing more than a crooked cop yeah well um after alonzo's body was found sheriff marvin stites declared that alonzo was murdered but then days later retracted his statement and said his office was conducting a death investigation what? when the when the press asked how the body could have been in a place that police had already searched on multiple occasions, the sheriff said, quote, nature had to take its course. What kind of cryptic shit is that, Marvin? I'm just going to call everyone by their first name. I, like I really mother. like it. I really like it. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Nature yeah. had to take its course. What the fuck does that mean? I know. I would like to ask him personally, but spoiler, he's dead. Well, I could have said that. Go. I could have been uh, more ginger about that. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's a true crime podcast. I think you're the, fine. The only ginger thing about me is my hair. <laughs> I regret saying that. I liked it. Uh, yeah. well, okay. Wow. All right. So this is, this is very interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. What next? So Alonzo's remains were transferred to Shawnee County, where a, quote, seasoned forensic pathologist performed an autopsy. The medical examiner said, quote, an examination internally and of the clothing does give me the fair degree of confidence that I don't have penetrating injuries as cause of death. There was also no evidence of any acute bone fractures, sharp force injuries, or gunshot wounds. There was also no anatomic signs of drowning, Alonzo's airway was clear and there was no water found in his lungs. The soft tissue around his neck was gone. Uh, The ME said, quote, damaged by animals and insects. So there's nothing there that allows me to make the determination that he was or was not strangled. Alonzo's body was decomposed, but according to his brother, Billy, who was there when the body was found, there's even a photo of when they found the body and you can see his brother Billy like sliding down an embankment to get to him. He said that Alonzo still had color and didn't look dead at all. He didn't look bloated, which anyone who has seen a true crime documentary can tell you that bodies tend to look, after they've been in water for any length of time, rather bloated. Several personal items were found on the body, including multiple dice, a bandana, a wallet with cards, ID, and pay stubs and cash, and a ring. All of the paper items found on him, the money, pay stubs, etc., uh, were all perfectly intact with zero water damage. So that means the body wasn't in any water, right? 
Well, you may think that, and I may think that, but the medical examiner, he felt that Alonzo's body was, quote, consistent with having been in water for close to a month. Which is some bullshit. A because month? How, yeah. How is a body in water for several weeks, and yet it's not bloated in any way, and all of the paper items found with him aren't damaged or waterlogged at all? Law enforcement also claimed the only reason they didn't find Alonzo is because his body was underwater for weeks. Hold on a second. Okay. Okay. I'm not trying to be crass, but we all know that if you take a long bath or you're in a pool for a long time, our hands get pruny, right? Mm -hmm. Like like you, because of the water. So if that happens after, say, an hour... Maybe even less, but let's say judiciously an hour. Your entire body being submerged in water for a month and the Mm -hmm. body's not bloated or anything? Like, that's crap. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Also, if I may very quickly, Mm -hmm. now uh, maybe I have some uh, forensics information that could be helpful. Oh, well... The bird's flying again. <laughs> well, listen, I was watching a documentary about something else, about another uh, crime, and and it just connected in this moment. So there's a bone in our throat called the hyoid bone, and it okay. moves. It, it, it can move around. So in this documentary, okay. they were talking about if someone strangles you with like a rope or a you know, shoelace or something like that, the bone can kind of adjust. It can like move as your body is trying to survive. Okay. But if you are strangled with a hand, then there's damage to that, to that bone. Like, like they can tell I am really simplifying this and I'm sure also butchering it. Don't pardon the pun. But, but the point being is, is that even if there was no soft tissue, now I might be speaking out my ass and I might be wrong, but I don't believe that this bone counts as soft tissue my point only being is is that a medical examiner could examine this bone and at least determine whether or not strangulation could rule something out potentially is my point and I don't think that that would require um I don't think that that would require any uh soft tissue to be present is my point. So, so I just, I'm only pointing out that I feel like saying like, oh, there's no soft tissue present. So I can't tell you how this person died. It's like, well, I was just watching this other thing where they were talking about the specifics of this bone and that you can actually Mm -hmm. learn a lot from where it's placed. If it's damaged, is it moved? All those kinds of things. Sounds to me like somebody's not doing his job right. (laughs) I could not be more excited because we are going there's a reason i have not said the medical examiner's name yet because i want to wait till the point where we really get into him because he shouldn't have his job is my point he shouldn't have his job yes also i don't think this is something i even wrote down but he said the soft tissue of the neck was gone because and his quote was damaged by animals and insects okay i know i don't know a lot about dead bodies but say a dead body is out somewhere and an animal finds it. Are they only going to go for your throat? They're not going to go for any other fleshy part of the body? 
I think it would all? have to be consistent with other places on the body. I think you're right. I don't, I mean, may, like, again, maybe we're wrong. If there are any forensics experts listening who'd like to let us know, let us know. But I don't know that they only go to one spot. I, I, yeah, that seems I find it crazy that I think there was a reason that that part of his body was the only part damaged. And he's just such a pots of an Emmy that he was just like, oh, clearly animals and insects. And it's like he's talking out of his ass because his quote, Mr. Brooks died. I do not know the circumstances of his death. I do not know the cause of his death, whether it was an accident or whether there was a purposeful involvement in his death. Cause of death was listed as undetermined. So it just comes down to how soon you want to get into uh, this medical examiner. Let's do it. Medical examiner. That would be one Dr. Eric Craig Mitchell. Yes! His middle name is Craig, like K-R-A-G. I guess that could just be Craig. Yeah. But I like saying it Craig, like he's a bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Mr. Craig. I right? like it a lot. It, it yeah. feels it feels better. So the medical examiner, Dr. Mitchell, what is his professional opinion on what happened? Quote, searches often fail to find the person you're looking for. You'll have helicopters and dogs and police and family, and then all of a sudden they get found. He could have floated down the creek when the creek, when the creek had higher water levels after a rainstorm. Again, we know how I feel about the bo- the idea that the body was in water for this entire time. So what experience does Dr. Mitchell have? Great. Well, he's been working in pathology for over 25 years. Yeah. Since receiving his medical degree from the State University of New York Upstate Medical University, which sounds made up, but I assure you it is not. Okay. Uh, so he gets his degree in Syracuse, New York, and would go on to practice in New York, North Carolina, Florida, Kansas, Wisconsin, Mississippi, and Georgia. Although currently his medical licenses are still only valid in Wisconsin, Mississippi, and Georgia, but he is a certified he is certified by the American Board of Pathology, uh, which seems weird when you think that literally anyone else could have done a better autopsy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm, and I get it. I'm not a doctor. Maybe I'm being too hard on this man. After all, he went to medical school. I did not. Uh, And to that, I say, you're right. Since he did go to medical school, maybe he could prove it by doing his goddamn job. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I could just be punchy still from last week. It could be a little leftover punch. I don't know. I like it. Uh, Maybe this is just who I am now because... The best way to describe quarantine for those who've never fully experienced is you're just not the same person going in that you are coming out. Yeah. And I know at this point we have all experienced some level of quarantine. Sure. For me, our city first shut down 14 months ago and I set up an air mattress in the living room and we binge watched movies for the first few weeks. The past four weeks of my life have been a far cry from that. (laughs) So again... She's coming out a new woman, and I I hope you're all still on board. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm Who here knows? for it. I love it. I, I could recover, but I I don't know. We'll see. Let the, let, 
just feel the sun again for a little bit and let's see what happens. A hundred percent. Back to Dr. Eric Mitchell. Thank you. So he does Alonzo's autopsy. He lists cause of death as undetermined. And I know we were all screaming at our TVs because he just felt super incompetent. Well, he can't always be shitty at his job, right? Well, for one thing, he's a terrible boss. Because under Mitchell's leadership at the morgue, employees were found taking photographs of one another in playful poses over the body of a female suicide victim. And while police were investigating a man convicted of child pornography, they found that man had in his possession photographs of himself with a corpse at the Emmy's office. Stop. No, not only was this man not authorized to be in the morgue, he then admitted a morgue employee let him stitch up a corpse after an autopsy. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> mhm. Mm and this is this is his this is his jurisdiction. These were his employees. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. And I know that you're just like, "Okay, Christy, calm down. That was he was their boss. That doesn't mean he necessarily did bad things." Has he done anything himself? And to that I say, dear folks, I'm going to tell you after the break. Oh, I like it. I like that she's thrown to the break herself. Go get a drink. Hit the bathroom. I got to be like a racehorse. <laughs> and we'll be right back to tell you more about Dr. Eric Craig Mitchell and his terrible, <laughs> terrible <laughs> autopsy findings in the case of Alonzo Brooks on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails, Famous Fatalities Edition. What's up, everybody? I want to tell you about a book that is very relevant to all of our collective interests. It's called 13 Doorways, Wolves Behind Them All. It's an eerie historical mystery like you've never read before. Written by two-time National Book Award finalist Laura Ruby. Set in Chicago in 1941, when Frankie's mother dies and her father leaves her in the orphanage, it's not supposed to be forever. Years later, Frankie wants to know what really happened to her mother. What other ghosts lurk in the shadows of her past? And how much is she willing to risk to find out? Haunting and hopeful in equal measure, says the New York Times. Stunning, says Booklist. Readers will be shocked, awed, and riveted from start to finish, says Locus Magazine. The audiobook of 13 Doorways, Wolves Behind Them All, will be available at a special, deeply discounted price all through the month of May at your favorite digital audiobook retailer. 13 Doorways, Wolves Behind Them All by Laura Ruby. Inspired by a true story, now in paperback from Bowser and Bray, an imprint of HarperCollins. What's up, everybody? Lauren Ash here. Now, if you listen to our podcast regularly, you probably know that we love to talk about therapy. I've been to a lot of it myself, and I recommend it to literally everybody. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp assesses your personal needs and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist. You connect with that therapist in a safe and private online environment, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours from when you sign up. Now, to be clear, this is not a crisis line. This is not a self-help tool. This is professional counseling done securely online. 
You're going to be able to message your counselor anytime and you'll get thoughtful and timely responses back. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without having to leave your home. Now, BetterHelp is committed to facilitating a great therapeutic match for you, so they've made it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. This is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. The service is available for clients all around the world, which is great because it doesn't limit you to connecting with a counselor located in your area. Obviously, anything you share is completely confidential, and I encourage you to check out the testimonials they post on their website. It should also be noted that so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So awesome. So I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com cocktails. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash cocktails. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails Famous Fatalities Edition. When we left off, Christy was dropping truth bombs about Dr. Eric Craig Mitchell, uh, the medical examiner, of course, in this case. And she teased that there is lots to come. So I can't wait. Lay it on us. How much worse can it possibly get? My instinct is, is that you're going to tell us pretty bad. What's going to be the funnest part for me is I'm going to get to a point where you're going to be like, oh, that's the worst thing he's done. And I'll be like, oh, there's more. (laughs) So, wow. Brace yourself. We're going to start with a seemingly unrelated case. On Monday, March 30th, 1987, a pediatric nurse named Valerie Hill was found sexually assaulted and strangled in her own apartment. In 1992, her ex-boyfriend, Hector Rivas, was arrested and later tried for her murder. Rivas was, act- was eventually uh, convicted of second-degree mur- second murder in 1993 and was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. However, this I don't know whether that man did it or not, and I did not look into that case to find out whether or not, but he has from day one been like, I am innocent of this. I was not this person. Right. But this case was a full mess. <laughs> So the lawyer for Hector was a man named Richard Call, Kale. He would later be disbarred after he was convicted for his involvement in a wire fraud scheme to buy used cars. Of course. Somehow, that isn't the craziest part. It was later found that the judge in the trial who sentenced Hector was found to be a per- had to found to have a personal relationship with the prosecuting attorney so personal in fact that the judge had asked the attorney to be the godfather to one of his children oh my god so why am i bringing up this case well the medical examiner on the case was none other than dr eric mitchell At the time, Dr. Mitchell was the chief medical examiner for, I hate that I've put this in because I don't know how to say it, Onondaga County in New York. Great. I know I butchered that, folks. No need to tell me. After the initial autopsy, Dr. Mitchell said that rigor mortis indicated the victim, Valerie Hill, was killed on Saturday or Sunday. Her body was found on a Monday. At the trial... Mitchell then testified that Valerie was probably killed Friday night, 
which just happened to be the only time on the weekend that Hector did not have an alibi for. Basically, I'm saying that Mitchell changed his testimony to support the prosecutor's theory. Even this is alone is like bad, but yet no medical board found it unethical. You know what else they didn't find unethical? During the same trial, Dr. Mitchell testified that he could verify the time of death based on the brain decomposition that he found when he examined the brain slides. However, the brain slides did not exist. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Uh, jurors later admitted that Mitchell's evidence and his time of death was the reason that they voted to convict Hector. So Mitchell was also the medical examiner in a case of a nine-month-old named Oliver Ortiz. Mitchell ruled Oliver's death a homicide, saying cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. However, multiple child neurology specialists have reviewed Mitchell's findings and said that Mitchell's theory of death, quote, is not medically possible and that there is no way that trauma causing the skull fracture caused Oliver's death. So this is all bad enough. There is no way that Dr. Mitchell could get any worse. How many times has he been found to be wrong about something? Well, it came out during the uh, trial, of, that was Hector's trial, during the time he was being investigated for 144 misdemeanors and three felonies. In 1993, investigators subpoenaed county morgue files for 200 bodies to find out if Dr. Mitchell had kept those, body, those bodies, or at least part of them, legally. <laughs> Wait, uh, what? He did some illegal stuff with body parts. We're getting there. Oh! <laughs> Current and former employees of Mitchell's claimed that he engaged in unethical, unprofessional, and illegal activities over the course of five years. Such activities include illegally dumping toxic waste, illegally disposing of human remains, illegally storing body parts, including improperly storing skeletons and body parts in his office. Shut up. Illegally donating body parts to medical schools and drug companies without the consent of the families. Oh my in God. Including bladders and kidneys from about 150 bodies. What? And then there was the time that he allowed a colleague to remove bodies from the Loomis Hill Cemetery and boil the bones in a parking lot so that he could do facial reconstruction. I have so many questions about that, but unfortunately, I have no more information than that. And did I mention he was also a person of interest in the death of a female co-worker? Uh, he was apparently never listed as an official suspect, but he once showed up at work in his pajamas wearing clogs that belonged to his deceased co-worker. Oh, my God. Once again, I wish I had more information from that, but I don't. But the police claim he wasn't a suspect, so I have to let it go, right? Sure. My point is, Dr. Eric Mitchell, shady as hell. 
Dr. Mitchell, of course, has denied any wrongdoing in all of this. And his lawyer said, quote, he is admitting only that it is impossible for him to run the office in the present climate. So he's not admitting any wrongdoing, but yet to avoid any sort of criminal prosecution, he agreed to resign. But that just means he can't practice in New York. So he then moved to Kansas in 1994, got his medical license there, and continued to work as a medical examiner from 1996 to 2018. He also worked as a private forensic pathologist, as well as the medical examiner for the state. And just when you think, okay, so he only worked to 2018. He's retired now, right? (laughs) Nope. In 2018, he left Kansas and began a job as the chief medical examiner in Wisconsin. I find it hilarious because he said he left Kansas due to, quote, inadequate standards. (laughs) Oh, it wasn't up to his standards. Okay. Wow. So, I mean, kudos to him, though. He is 70 years old and he's still going. Two years ago, he did an interview where he said he hoped to work for another decade. How he keeps getting hired when he's clearly been shady on this job for decades, I don't know. Apparently, it's hard for counties to fill medical medical examiner positions, and there is a national shortage of qualified pathologists. Listeners, I mean, if you are a young person or you're thinking about a change <laughs> of venue occupation, I implore you, please, if you have the stomach for it, become a medical examiner because we have to do something about getting people like him out of these positions. This is wild. So let me yeah. get this straight because there's a shortage of medical examiners. He just keeps failing upwards. That is crazy. This man is yeah. suspected of a murder. He stole organs and sold them illegally. He boiled bones <laughs> or was connected to a bones boiling. I mean, that's just, I have, I'm not even listing all the things. And this is like, I can't implore you enough. Young women, go through the sciences, STEM, all of these things. If, you, if this feels like something you could do with your life, I beg of you, please do it. Please. Your country yeah. needs you. <laughs> <laughs> well, 100%. So sorry. Um, I, this no, is, no. This is the this... thing that look. I'm almost crying. This is the thing that's made me break. We just. It's just one of those things where it's like, uh, very quickly because I don't want to derail us. I really don't. But, but but you put your your faith and your trust in many different occupations. But yeah. a medical examiner is someone who has a level of should have a level of decorum, respect for for people for their loved ones, for mm-hmm. for these meat suits that we go through life wearing, should have a respect for them that, that this just, it chills me to my core. Please continue. Uh, when interviewed about his new position in Wisconsin, Dr. Mitchell was asked about his shady past. And he said, quote, It was obviously a while ago, and I was much younger then. I was a very aggressive death investigator, and there was some dispute over how I set up my office. He also referred to himself as, quote, a very controversial figure. And 
noted that he has lawsuits pending against him by two families who charged him with sending their body parts to a medical school rather than returning them to their families for burial. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Mm-hmm. That'll mm-hmm. do it. Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, and just for those of you who may be wondering, because it, 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 it got, it doesn't end well, Hector Rivas, who claimed his innocence and was in jail since 1993, uh, in March 2015, the U.S. Court of Appeals finally ordered a new trial for Hector. However, he couldn't afford the $200,000 bail, so he was forced to stay in prison before his new trial's uh, start date, which was September 19th, 2016. Unfortunately, Hector died July 2016 after spending 23 years in prison for a crime that he most likely did not commit. So, thank you, Craig. (laughs) That is, we talk about a lot of stuff on this show. Mm -hmm, We talk a mm -hmm. lot of depravity, all of the Mm -hmm. above. But for me, it's people that we are, that are in these positions that are supposed to be vetted, that are supposed to have some level of training, schooling, you know, checks and balances. It's the same reason why I'm terrified of crooked cops. It's the same thing. and But this feels even more extreme when we're talking about, I gave away your loved one's body parts to someone else. Like, that is so twisted and wild. And the fact that he could have been the main reason why that man spent 23 years in jail for a crime he didn't commit, potentially. I mean, that is that is a level of terror that... Again, that chills me to my core. I will have nightmares about this. I mean, there's so many things that I have nightmares about now since we started doing this show. (laughs) But this will be one. Honestly, like, I, 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 wow. First of all, great work. (laughs) Second of all, this is terrifying. And the fact, again, that this man is still practicing in his 70s, -hmm. does not have any want to stop. I mean, and, and bringing this back to the case and to Alonzo specifically, you know, when you hear that there are, he was, try, he was, you know, suspected of, I think you said 144 misdemeanors. It was well over 100 anyway, if I'm getting the number wrong. When he's missing things like the papers in Alonzo's pockets were pristine, as yeah. though they had not touched water at all. Mm-hmm. And he's saying this body was obviously submerged in water for a month. It sounds at first glance like, oh, that's weird. But when you hear all this background, it's like this guy could have been getting bought off. It feels like that's how he's made a career, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm convinced that's why he wants to continue practicing forever because he's making like over 200000 a year doing this because he's got all this experience. They don't care if it's good or bad. They're just like, oh, all that experience, this is how much you make. So no matter where he goes, screws up in one place, you just have to go make sure your license is valid in another state. Do you want to make $200,000 a year? (laughs) Are you someone who can handle a dead body? Guess what? There's a career path waiting for you. We need you. Please, anybody, if you are a decent human and you can do this job, consider it. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I I am both flattered and sorry that I have uh, 
done this to you. It's fine. I don't know why this is the thing that broke me. I don't know whether it's today specifically. No, I. you know what? No, I think it really, I think it would have been any time. I think there is just to me, there is a, again, like there's just a level of, of respect that you have to bring to, to a dead body. I just, I just do. And I think that, that, you know, it's, it's ultimate vulnerability. A lot of people would argue it's not you anymore because your spirit, if you believe in that has left, I get that. It's just a shell, whatever. But I just think it's like as humans, like going back in time, like our ancestors, like there is a respect that you bring to that. It's like you just, that is just one of the things, you know? And I don't know yeah. why I'm shocked that, that there are people who wouldn't, but I guess the people who had gone through a ton of schooling and all of the above, you would just hope. You would just hope. Anyway, Dr. Eric Mitchell, I'll see you tonight in my nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez. I, and look, for anyone who's still on the fence about that, like, should I go back and re-listen to the episode from that other podcast? And I say, I didn't bring up three quarters of that no this is because that was all that was that was new stuff i've only been living with for a few days as opposed to several months so yeah well now it's yours for life (laughs) (laughs) oh by the time i open the file for next week this file has to get through the shredder flush it (laughs) just 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 what happens wow okay well i think long story short way too late the bottom line is is that the medical examiner in this case we don't feel our opinion alleged we're not whatever mm-hmm. but in our opinion can't be trusted correct i think in a lot of people's opinions but yeah yeah i'm just saying uh, so we don't get sued you know what i mean oh yeah allegedly <laughs> you know allegedly but no you're stating the facts he was under investigation for those misdemeanors that's not stating whether or not he was you know found guilty i don't know that he was or he wasn't yeah he was under investigation i don't know if he was found guilty or not but he was being investigated for 144 misdemeanors and three felonies and was a person of interest in a death of a co-worker and there is there are people who are saying that he did give their loved ones body parts to people other than them yeah there are two current there are two current lawsuits current for that so those are the alleged charges. Yes. Make make of it what you want. Point being, do we feel like that means that this is, again, if it felt, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck, maybe it's a duck. <laughs> uh, yeah. If it doesn't know how to do its job properly, it's probably a crag. <laughs> <laughs> again, I know he's supposedly the professional, allegedly. That's also alleged, yeah, absolutely. Instead of me, so I should maybe give him a break, but I'm not gonna. Nope. A few years go by. Thank you. Alonzo's case gets labeled cold, but his family continue to keep Alonzo's name out there to try and put pressure on law enforcement. Alonzo's sister, Felicia Brooks, said, quote, it was like shouting into a void at times, and I know that I don't even know what she's going through but I know that feeling. <laughs> so I, I get that on a very, very low level. Yeah. So in 2017, the family was contacted through their Justice for Alonzo Facebook page by the production team of the new Unsolved Mysteries reboot. After filming interviews in 2019, the episode was released on Netflix on July 1st, 2020. 
The episode immediately gained national media coverage, being picked up by the likes of Dateline and CNN. There's even a filmmaker named Josh Pratt who is making an in-depth podcast about the case, but there's no word on whether or not it has been released. Alonzo's name once again is in the news. The FBI holds a police conference to announce that they have reopened Alonzo's case and were investigating it as a possible hate crime. They were all now also offering a $100,000 reward to anyone with information that would lead to a conviction. They then announced that they would be exhuming Alonzo's body. So July 22nd, 2020, Alonzo's body was exhumed from a cemetery in Topeka and transported to Dover Air Force Base for a new autopsy to be performed by a team of forensic pathologists and experts. According to acting U.S. attorney Dustin Slinkard, he said, quote, We knew that Alonzo died under very suspicious circumstances. We are doing everything we can and will spare no resources to bring these responsible to justice. On November 16th, 2020, Unsolved Mysteries made an update, update. on the case, uh, which I felt kind of let down by. I think at that point I was assuming it was going to be the autopsy results, but the update was that the FBI had learned of a second party in Lacine on the night of Alonzo's death, and people left the party after a fight broke out and headed to the farmhouse where Alonzo was last seen. This may be a bigger deal than what I'm thinking it is, but anyone who saw the episode knows that there was a second party that night. Alonzo's friend Daniel admitted he got a call about another party and left. Maybe I was wrong, assuming that the party, the second party was also in Lacine. And maybe the fact that a fight broke out at a second party was a bigger deal. Again, I just, I was, any update is good. Yeah. Detective Christie just wanted those autopsy results. You know you what I mean? You wanted more. I get it. I did. Then April 6th, 2021. This is up to the minute. Yeah. Autopsy results come out. It is concluded that the injuries to Alonzo's body were, quote, inconsistent with normal patterns of decomposition, and therefore Alonzo's death was officially ruled a homicide. Unfortunately, all the other autopsy details are being withheld. So now we know for sure that Alonzo was murdered, uh, but we don't have a clue as to how. Maybe if we can't look at how, we start looking into maybe why. So as I said before, Lacine, Kansas is a small town. As of 2010, the population was only 1,194. Alonzo's friend Daniel described it as, quote, a tiny, tiny Kansas town. They got like one gas station, no real grocery store, nothing like that. There ain't nothing down there. I don't know what happened to me during that quote, but that's what happened. You felt it. Yeah, I really did. Uh, so being a smaller town, do we just assume that it's safe? Like just how safe? is Lacine, was my kind of where I started digging. So during my research into Kansas, I learned of something called sundown towns. I had never heard this term before. Me neither. And kind of wish I had not, but this is where we are now. Um, a sundown town is an all-white neighborhood or municipality in the United States that practice a form of racial segregation by excluding non-whites through some combination of violence, discriminatory local laws, and or intimidation. 
the term sundown towns came from a sign that used to be posted saying, quote, colored people had to leave town by sundown. Yes, dear listeners, this is unfortunately not only real, but something that is ongoing. During the last election, some municipalities said that the, sun ta- the sundown town laws made it nearly impossible for black people to vote. Jesus. In Kansas, there are 11 sundown towns because, of course, they have their own laws. So it is open and out there in the world that you can see where sundown towns are. Lacine is not one of these towns. Uh, However, of the 11, six are within 150 miles or 241 kilometers, including two towns that are only an hour away. Now, if Alonzo and his friends are willing to drive an hour to get to this party, who's to say people from these potentially racist areas aren't also willing to drive the same distance to get to this rager of a party? Absolutely. Now, am I saying everyone in these towns is a racist? I am not. Of course. The fact that there are laws of any kind like this in place is just insane to me. But I guess, I mean, it just shows my privilege that I wouldn't have to know about these sorts of things. So Lacine is not officially a sundown town, so how bad could it have been? Well, I have found various forum posts from people who have either lived or visited Lacine over the years. And I know that just because it's on a forum doesn't make it factual, but when they all kind of have the same experience, you start to think there's got to be something, at least a tiny speck of truth to it. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Correct. So take these comments as you will. I just, some of them seem like they could be something, but who knows. One person commented that the Lacine motto was, quote, if you're black, don't let the sun hit your back. Yep. Someone said, quote, I grew up in Lynn County, and let me tell you, there was a lot of covering up going on in the sheriff's office in this case. They take care of their own, even if it's wrong. It is a well-known fact that African-American people were not welcome in Lynn County. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Then we had a woman post about her husband on the Justice for Alonzo Facebook page. Again, I'm not 100% sure on the truth to this. But she said, quote, in 2005, remember, Alonzo was 2004. So, quote, in 2005, my husband Nate and friends showed up at a house party in Lacine. After what seemed like an easygoing night, Nate was jumped by a group of local dudes that came to the campfire growling and huffing. After being pulled from the brawl by a stranger, Nate was thrown into a vehicle where the guys shattered his driver's side window. He managed to slam on the gas to escape. He went fifth. He went about 80 uh, on gravel roads to get home and in the rearview mirror saw three sets of headlights chasing him. He's lucky to have made it. He missed school for a week because his eye was swollen shut. And for reference, my husband is Mexican-American. I also then background checked her husband and he was from, I believe it was like Rantoul, Ratul, Kansas, which is like half an hour maybe from Lacine. So the odds of him potentially going to a high school party there was very plausible to me. There were also numerous posts about people who would show up to a party in Lacine and were literally chased out because they were seen as outsiders. 
One person said, quote, I went to Lacine with Missouri plates on my car and was told to go home because I didn't belong there. Oh, yep. boy. Okay. Again, I am not saying that all of this is 100% true or that everyone in Lacine is like this, but I of don't course. think um, that this town is as welcoming as they think it is. Uh, even Alonzo's friends didn't have kind things to say about Lacine. Daniel said, quote, Definitely there is some racism involved down there. It gets worse when you go further south. Justin said, quote, There were people there who had problems with people's skin color. Obviously, that crap comes with the area. And, quote, We never would have been there in the first place if we had any idea it was going to be like that. So my question to Justin is, what crap comes it from the area if you weren't meaning racist crap because he said obviously that crap comes with the area but then we didn't know it was going to be like that or we wouldn't have gone which i find and then again okay i agree with you that already doesn't hold water for me second you're bringing your black friend into that environment deliberately okay and then all right so let's just say he wanted to assume that they would be fine yeah, and that's why it happened. Let's say that. But then, when it wasn't fine, and your friend went missing, why the hell did you lie about your story? That's where it falls apart for me with him. Like, okay, I can kind of go along with you and maybe believe that you thought, even though this was kind of a a tricky racial area, that maybe you thought if you were all together, it would be okay. But A, why'd you leave him? And B, why'd you lie? That's where it falls apart. Yeah. I mean, well, the friends, specifically Tyler in this case, said, quote, our group never thought about race, so it was just never brought up. <laughs> Which is a such a white person thing to say. Yeah. You yeah, know? Yep. So, Okay. Let's say we take racism off the table. Lacine is potentially still safe if we take that off the table. Well, there was a man named John Edward Robinson. Who is this guy? Well, he's a con man, an embezzler, a kidnapper, and a forger who was arrested on June 2nd, 2000 after a woman filed a complaint against him for sexual battery and another woman charged him with Stealing her sex toys. Yeah. Apparently they had agreed to get together for some interesting times. And he just refused to let her take her stuff when she left. So, yeah. So this last charge may seem ridiculous. But it turns out that Robinson had been meeting women online and having various sexual encounters in his home. But this charge for stealing the sex toys, while seemingly simple, gave police probable cause to get a search warrant for his property, a farm just outside Lacine. What did police find on that farm? Oh, just the bodies of two women found decaying in two 85-pound chemical barrels. Whoa! Yep. This leads police to check John's second property in Missouri, where they found more barrels containing corpses. It turns out that Robinson had been killing women from 1984 to 1999. He made contact with his post-1993 victims via online chat 
under his slave his name slave master so robinson is sometimes referred to as the internet's first serial killer wow he was arrested in 2000 but it wasn't until 2005 that his wife nancy filed for divorce citing incompatibility and irreconcilable differences they were married for 41 years no yeah nancy i know as of 2019 robinson has been convicted of eight murders and lives on death row in kansas (laughs) so to your point there was lots happening in this area (laughs) jeez there was i don't mean to giggle about um any sort of serial killer but i don't think i've ever been in the position to be like it was a serial killer to you you're the serial killer person so it just felt like listen again this is somebody i didn't know which blows my mind but there are more that you would not realize it is unsettling the amount that are in the uh united states alone i can't really think about it high numbers why would i bring up a random serial killer when he wasn't involved in alonzo's death because he was arrested years before alonzo uh had died well first of all because it was crazy interesting and the fact that the guy was murdering multiple women and living in this small town shows you you never know who truly lives somewhere. Now, I'm not trying to make y'all paranoid about your neighbors. <laughs> but I'm just saying, just because it's a small town, you can't just go on, oh, it was a small town. It was safe. This was a, an incident that would just like not usually happen. But it's like, oh, there was also a serial killer in the area. But... You know, Uh, so we know serial killer, the serial killer, John Edward Robinson, wasn't a suspect. So who are possible suspects? Well, unfortunately, the police have not officially listed anyone as a suspect. So we've got to go on a lot of theories as to who could be involved. So bear with me. Let it be noted that we are not saying that any of these people are guilty of anything. We're just saying their names have been tossed around. We're also not saying that these people should be contacted or harassed in any way. No. Some of their Facebook pages have been flooded with comments from people threatening them. Justin even admitted he received death threats after the Unsolved Mysteries episode aired. And regardless as to whether Justin is guilty or not, he should not be getting death threats. No. Because who knows? He could be innocent, but we're not saying he's done anything. It's just... I'm just saying these are names that... They came up, this is what I do. I tell people things and this is how it goes. So I just want it to be noted that these people shouldn't be harassed in any way. And I'm just telling you these names because they continually come up. And I'm talking like almost, I would say, over a hundred times. Some of these names just everybody. Yeah. So the main ones that they list seem to be Pat and Jerry Boone. According to witnesses, these two Boone brothers had an altercation with Alonzo after he was caught flirting with their sister, Tiffany. Now, my biggest hesitation here is that the party was supposedly 16 to 21-year-old kids, but at the time, Pat and Jerry Boone were 39 and 37, respectively. Oh. So what the hell would they have been doing at a party with kids half their age? And Tiffany, their sister, was only 15 at the time, and Alonzo was 23. So was he hitting on a 15-year-old? I don't know. But a friend of the Boones uh, had commented once that Alonzo never should have been flirting with a 15-year-old. 
which of course made the internet go, oh, obviously the 15-year-old he mean they mean is Tiffany. Many people have come forward saying they witnessed this flirtation and that it was Tiffany, but again, we don't know how many people we can trust in this situation. Uh, the thing that makes people say it was the Boone brothers is the fact that they are seen as mean, intimidating, and people say they, quote, run that town, which is really terrifying to think about. Apparently, their parents, Jerry and Dixie, owned the family cafe, which is 0.4 miles from the farmhouse where the party occurred. The cafe, the cafe oof, is halfway from the end of the house's driveway to the town of Lacine. So the theory goes that Orlonzo flirts with Tiffany, her brothers do not care for it, rough him up, Alonzo tries to defend himself, gets the fight turns deadly, and that they hid his body in a freezer at the family cafe down the road, discarding Alonzo's boot and boots and hat on the way, which is how they would have been thrown, uh, and several weeks later moved the body to the creek where it was found by Alonzo's family. So many comments online were basically, quote, I've heard these same rumors for years and I've never once doubted them. Wow. Mm. So is this theory kind of insane? A little bit. I'm not saying that Alonzo was ever put into a freezer, but wouldn't that kind of explain why his body had very little decomp despite being missing for a month? The location of the family cafe is very convenient, but again, it falls apart for me that two dudes in their late 30s are hanging out at a party with a bunch of drunk teenagers. People also claim the Boone brothers' family owned the, the house where the party had taken place. However, the property is owned by Bradley and Janelle Ost, who, as far as I can tell, has no connection to the Boones. Tiffany's boyfriend at the time of this party was a dude named Logan Smith, who just happened to be the son of a local judge named Richard Smith. So someone claimed Logan had a history of domestic violence issues and that one particular case was described as, quote, quite severe. This is all alleged, as I have no proof of this. So, of course, there's an, a theory that Alonzo flirts with Tiffany or vice versa. Logan gets defensive. A fight breaks out. Things escalate. People help him cover it up because his father is a judge. Now... There's also a man named Donnie Abel. He was supposedly at the party where some claim to have seen him get into an argument with Alonzo. He was 18 at the time, and it has been said that Donnie went to Nebraska the day after the party and has refused to take a lie detector test for the police, which we have spoken about before on an episode, but God, please don't ask me to <laughs> which one that was. Who knows? I just, if you're the police... Can't you make them like can't once the police like, is it really just like a, hey, um, pardon me if you wouldn't mind. Like, I know there's like civil liberties and stuff, but <laughs> just like, is there not a way that the police can be like, we need every single person who was there to take a lie detector. So sorry, you have to do it anyway. I mean, I doubt the police would say sorry, but you know what I mean? Like, I find it wildly fascinating that they're just like. You said no? Ah, maybe next time. Ah, you know, nuts. Like, yeah, yeah, it just feels crazy to me. 
again, this is all just a rumor. It was tough to say whether or not any of these people were at the actual party. I kind of wish that someone had taken photos and would post them somewhere for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are also internet rumors that Alonzo's friends, Justin, Daniel, and Tyler might not be completely innocent. Mm. There was a rumor at one point that they told him there was a party, but really lured him to an empty house to attack him, which I don't really buy for the sake of what's their motive exactly. And then why would they drive out there to do it? Like, if you're going to attack him, why go to the trouble of luring him to this abandoned place an hour later and then admit to everyone that you were at the ab- this abandoned house? You know? Yeah, well, that's but a also, great question. there has been a ton of people who are like, that party existed and they were there. So I don't think, whether they specifically were like, we're bringing him here for whatever reason, I don't know, but... Again, there's currently nothing that specifically says what these friends have done. Right. Okay, well, very quickly, you did say, like, you know, what's the motive Yes. for them to lure him to this empty house, potentially? I guess my only answer to that would be racism. Like, you know. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> meaning, meaning, and I know that I don't think you have the answer to this, but what, like, how deep was this friendship with these friends and Alonzo. You know what I mean? And I and I'm 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 posing that as a question. I'm I'm not saying that you necessarily have that answer. I do. Because again, oh <laughs> well, I maybe jumped the why, gun there. Why <laughs> did I ever why did I ever question it? But I, I, I very quickly yes. I'll let you get I'll let you get to it. But Rodney obviously being one of Alonzo's old friends mm-hmm. was like he had never met these people before. So I'm just saying like how long had Alonzo been friends with these guys? Ms. Oxborough. Oh, thank you. He, uh, Alonzo and his mother, Maria, and I believe her husband or boyfriend, he was considered the stepfather. So I'm not sure 100% what their relationship was between the, if they were husband or wife or not, either way. They moved from Topeka to Gardner about four years before all of this. So he he was like raised from like birth, he knew Rodney. And then up until like, I don't know. 18 19 and then he lived for the last four years around these other friends who I mean if you think about it they were four years apart so when he moved there when he was like 19 they were only like 15 so they couldn't have hung out that much and they even said that Alonzo didn't really party with them very much because of their age difference and that's something I did not pick up on the first time we did this because I also thought I could do this episode without rewatching the uh, Unsolved Mysteries episode, but I did give it a watch because I watched it multiple times the first time around. Yeah. But it's been so long, so I gave it a rewatch. And yeah, I had forgotten that there was any age difference. I thought they were all just like early 20s, but no, the others were 18 and 19, and he was 23. So if you. Th- that's a bit of a. That's a stretch. Yeah. I don't know if maybe they're just. If he just happened to meet them one day and then it was like, oh, cool. You know, we found a guy who's old enough. He can buy alcohol. Right. You know, like it's tough to say, but I mean, Justin is very like, oh, my God, my best friend. Just best friend. And it's there's I don't know. I So I guess to answer your question of how close were they, it's. I don't know specifically. I just know they he only lived in that city for four years and they weren't tight enough 
that he ever introduced them in those four years to his friend who only lived an hour away. So if they were willing to go one night to a random party an hour away, why wouldn't he have gone home to see his friend or his friend come visit him and him be like, hey, meet my new friends or whatever. It just seemed like maybe they weren't as tight as it seemed. Yeah, and I am speculating with what I'm about to say, and I'll do it very quickly. But it feels to me like this was a newer kind of friendship. Like, I don't know that they were like, when he first moved to town, he made friends with these guys. It feels to me like maybe at work or something, one of them met him. You know, it just doesn't feel, I don't know, there's something that just doesn't sit right to me about the friends. And I I know that you're like, you know, a racehorse at the gate, ready to go. Just like, shoot the gun, Lauren, let me run. I get it. I get it. But yeah, I just, something about it seems a little off to me. Continue. Well, we don't have any official suspects. Do we have any official theories? At the beginning of this case, the FBI said, quote, Some said Brooks may have flirted with a girl. Some said drunken white men may have wanted to fight an African-American male. And some said racist whites simply resented Brooks's presence. So I love that they officially said that. But so clearly the FBI has heard the same stories that I have. Right. But of course, they don't have any proof, so of course there has not been any sort of arrest. Now, Alonzo's brother, Billy, thinks Alonzo was put into a meat locker and then later dumped. Because again, the family is like, you know what? His body was not decomposed for something that, for like being gone almost a month. And you're also telling me that in the, the, the one thing that came out of those April 2021 autopsy results, the one thing that they said was that the body was not consistent with the level of decomposition, correct? Yes. Great. And that, so that's a, that's a fact then we can say, or at least based on that new autopsy, which I think we're going to trust more than the last one. 100%. That's important to note yes. is that, is that the, what we're going on, which is not just speculation, is that this body did not correlate with a body that would have been in the woods or in water for a month. Yeah. So Dr. Eric Mitchell believed that Alonzo floated down the creek for a month before being found because, again, his expert medical opinion is that Alonzo's body, quote, was consistent with having been there for 30 days. It could easily be shorter. Is it consistent with 30 days or is it shorter than that? Like one or the other, man. Um, Another quote from Dr. Mitchell. I also don't know the circumstances under which he ended up in the creek, so I can't tell you whether he placed himself in that environment or somebody else placed him in that environment. We know that when most people kill someone and dispose of a body, they do so in a convenient fashion. Moving a dead body is not convenient. To go through all that brush in a field? That's highly improbable. Well, objection, speculation. <laughs> 100%. You can't speak no, to that? No, he can't. No. Alonzo's mother, Maria, thinks that Alonzo was targeted because of his race. She told Dateline, quote, I'm Mexican and his father is black, so he's mixed. They didn't just target one race or kill one race. They killed two. 
he was targeted because of the color of his skin. So I, I agree. I don't think he, because if it had just been a random person, what are the odds of like an almost all white party and the, the one black guy that's there is the guy that dies? Maria also believes that Alonzo was hidden in a meat locker or cooler because his body was intact and quote, they found him in a white t-shirt and his jeans and they said it wasn't even dirty. The only clothing of his that they have shown photos of anywhere are a shirt of his that was like ripped up and super dirty, but it was not the t-shirt he was wearing underneath. They listed a bunch of the clothing that he had on him, but the only one they ever showed was what I'm guessing was the outer shirt. Right. That could have been found anywhere at that point, I guess. Right. So, I mean... And not surprising, Maria has a lot of anger towards Alonzo's friends, especially Justin. She said he changed his story multiple times after the party, and since it all went, da- went down, none of those boys joined any of the search parties. Justin says, quote, I don't have any right to be angry about anything his family feels about me. It is my fault. There's obvious guilt with Justin. I don't think he actually did anything, but the fact that he knowingly left his friend there clearly haunts him and will continue to haunt him for the rest of his life. There was an anonymous post made on a message board in February 2013. It says, quote, the police in that county did nothing to help at all. Zoe was a great guy and an even better friend. I was blessed with the opportunity to be one of his closest friends. I drove him to this party, and I know that someone from this party knows what happened to my friend. Pull your heads out of your asses and help his family and all of us in his extended family get the answers we need so we can put the animal or animals away who took an amazing man uh, from the world. Uh, I love you, Zoe, and miss you. I know you're watching over us. And so this was 2013, long before... Unsolved Mysteries, so you can't tell me that's not Justin. And the intense amount of guilt that he probably feels over this. Again, I don't know, I don't think that he did anything particularly, but I can't help but wonder if he knows something that he's just not saying for reasons that I don't know. It should also be noted that Justin claims the Unsolved Mysteries episode was edited in a way that made him look bad. He doesn't understand why Rodney is making up lies about him. Which I also find interesting. Interesting. Tyler, friend of uh, Justin's and Daniel's, said, quote, I'm sure the N-word was getting thrown out that night. Alonzo would get mad about it, I do believe. I think he got his ass beat by about four or five people. That's what I believe. Alonzo got beat up. He got jumped. That is so fucking specific, Tyler. (laughs) So specific. Yeah. Well, yeah. Especially to be like, oh, totally the N-word. He would get mad about it, I I believe. And then like, oh, he got his ass beat. Like, that's also an interesting way of saying my friend died. Well, also, didn't... Didn't he say he left the party after like an hour or something? Yep, 45 minutes to an hour. 
Okay, so this is him speculating, saying yeah. like, oh, well, that word got thrown around. And then it's either, it's like, so did you see him get beat up? Or you're just speculating that he got beat up? Because two things. One, if you saw him get beat up and you did nothing, you're a piece of shit. Yep. And two, if you're speculating that he got beat up, then you should never have left. Because then the implication is that it's like, yeah, well, a lot of people were throwing the N-word around and wanted to beat him, beat him up. So I left after an hour and left him there. Do you know what I mean? Like, either yeah. way, dude, you don't look great. Yeah, I also don't like the... Sp- the specific four or five people like yeah like say like he got beat up by a bunch of people but i also do not like like he's talking about what happened how did his friend get murdered and his reaction was he got his ass beat yeah it's that's really interesting i don't care for the for the verbiage if I may. The verbiage is not, no, the verbiage yeah. is not great, but the verbiage also communicates a lot to the rest of us, which is what does that verbiage say? I mean, he got his ass beat. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, here we go. Here we go. Therapist hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, a psychology hat on. That's automatically putting some level of uh, responsibility on Alonzo. He got his ass beat. Right? Yeah. That's saying that that is something that he did. Right. Which is not true first of all like again i'm i'm dissecting what this person's words are for the record i'm not saying this as myself but then it's like why would you make that kind of comment that suggests either one you think he deserved it on some level or two you are trying to make yourself feel better like he got himself into this mess it wasn't because that takes the kind of impetus off of you either way not great. Yeah. I mean, especially when you look at Daniel's only comment about it was, quote, there's just foul play written all over it. It's, I don't know. I know. I'm concocting my own theory right now. Multiple theories, obviously. I don't know. It's interesting. It's just interesting. That's an interesting thing to say. It, they're, it, all of their, the comments by the friends all felt very... Uh, I don't even have the right words for just like how specific and it felt to me like Daniel and Tyler are closer friends because their stories are very, very similar in that we showed up. Right. We witnessed this fight. Hour or so later, we left because both of them in that episode make a comment about Before I left, I made sure to go over, shake hands, and say goodbye to Alonzo. But why Alonzo specifically? This is the other thing. Exactly. And to that point, similarly to Justin, why did you feel that obligation to make that phone call? Because let's put it into two categories. One, let's say all of that is true. If all of that is true and they felt like they needed to shake his hand before they left and they needed to alert other people that he needs a ride home, then that means that they felt a certain level of protection or responsibility for him being there, which points to you shouldn't have all left him, period. Yeah. Or they're trying to make it seem like they really cared about this person that they did not give a fuck about. To me, it's one or the other. Yeah, I just, 
there's something about the fact that they specifically were like, we were going to leave, but we made sure to go over and, you know, say goodbye to him. And both were like, shook his hand and left. Like they said almost the exact same thing. So it felt like those two were like, we're going to, whatever our story is, we stick to it. There's safety in yeah. numbers, but they didn't bring Justin into this group because Justin's story is so completely different. But again, then I start wondering, like, were Tyler and Justin or were Tyler and Daniel in the same vehicle because they have very similar stories? But Daniel is the one who's like, I was there with Nikki. Nikki was my ride. I had to leave. I went to another party. Whereas Tyler was just like, I was only there so long and I left. So I think they showed up separately, but then it's like, so was Tyler by himself? Or great question. Was there somebody else? Because they said, oh, and we're going to, well, you know what? We're just going to skip to it. We're going to get into it. Get into it. So I, I, first of all, my big issue, I, I have a lot of them. Sure. Tyler, why do you drive an hour? To go to a party that you don't even stay at for a full hour before you then go home. That's crazy to me. Two, if Alonzo's friends realized that the area was racist, even if they didn't realize it until they got to the party, why did they not make sure to have his back? Maybe they said they were leaving and he was just like, I'm having so much fun, I refuse to go. And you can't make a grown man do anything that he doesn't want to do. But from the friends' accounts, that didn't happen. So if Justin did get lost, how did he get home? And why did he never try and make his way back to get Alonzo? Well, and also, hang on. Justin, whose car was parked at the ATM where he was seen getting the money out? It was, suppo it was supposedly Justin. Right, but, but, but was his car seen there? I don't or know. Or not? Yeah. So again, to this, I'm saying to this point, it's like, did your car get stuck? And then someone came and picked you up and then you went to the ATM oh. and then you went to the script club? Or were you in your own car? These are things to me that it's like, these are the questions that I ask that I'm sure law yeah. enforcement would be like, yeah, we looked into it. But you know what I'm saying? I'm like, is there proof? Yeah. I mean, I also want to know Adam, whoever Adam is, why would he just assume that Alonzo got a ride home with someone else? Because according to the friends, they all said there was only six to eight Gardner people at the party. We've got Alonzo, Justin, Tyler, Daniel, Nikki, Adam, and then there was supposedly possibly a guy with Justin when he left. So that makes seven. Was there another driver from Gardner? Because the guy who was renting the house supposedly was from Gardner. So was he counted in that? Because if so, that's your eight. So if there happened to be another driver, why did eight friends bring five vehicles to the same party an hour away? I just don't yeah. understand. And Justin says Adam claims he just thought Alonzo must have left. But if there are four vehicles that go and three of them leave, but Alonzo 
had been there and then suddenly wasn't there, who took him home? If you're the only vehicle left that's like, I'm the only one here from this particular city, town, whatever, how is it possible that you would be like, oh, he must have got a ride? It's like, from who? From who? If the three other vehicles from town left, you saw he was there, so you know he's still there, and then he's just gone, and you were like, ah, must have got a ride. Who are you? I mean, sure. Did I look through these Justin Tyler Daniels Facebook pages as best I could? Some were locked down more than others. Uh, I did. Is it enraging to see them, like, get married and have kids and just kind of live their lives? A hundred percent. They all like the Justice for Alonzo Facebook page. They are all friends with each other. I cannot see two of their friends lists. One of them, I looked for Adams and looked through his friends list, but neither of those Adams were friends with either of the other two guys. So I'm assuming neither of them were the Adam in this situation. But I just have a lot of questions. Where is Adam? What, what, Justin, are you saying that Unsolved Mysteries cut out? What's missing? Why did they... Because according to him, they cut things to make him look bad. Well, I have some questions, if I may. Please. You probably don't know the answer to this. But maybe you do, so don't make me think, don't think that I don't think you have the answer. (laughs) But the footage where Justin is taking money out with this elusive other person from the ATM. Do we know if, and again, no shade, obviously, if you don't know. Do we know if it was Justin taking money out or the other person taking money out specifically? I don't know. From what I've heard It said it was Justin, but I'm not 100%. Because, roll with me on this. Mm -hmm. Let's say Alonzo had met this girl or whatever. Or even he hadn't. But let's say someone has some motive so let's go with the boons for a second let's say that Alonzo met this girl Tiffany let's say it's possible he also maybe didn't know how old she was or she wasn't perhaps that was a motivator for him to go to this party to begin with so he went with these dudes that maybe he isn't super close friends with but they're all going to this party this girl Tiffany's going to be there he has a vested interest Is it possible that this person with Justin, when they go to this ATM, this 200 bucks was a payoff? Was Justin's job to get Alonzo to the party? Did Alonzo have history with with Tiffany or someone else there? Was there somebody invested in making sure that Alonzo was brought to this place? Because again, as I alluded to earlier, I find it very hard to believe that Justin would change his story and make it about getting lost, stuck, whatever. Nobody changes their story if they don't have something to hide. I will scream that till the day I die. If you have nothing to hide, 
There is no reason why. Was Justin told, we want to beat the shit out of this Alonzo guy? Who the hell is he to flirt with? Our sister, our friend, whoever. If you bring him to the party, we'll give you 200 bucks. Bring him to the party. Justin delivers, but then holy shit, they don't beat him up. They kill him. And now Justin is freaking out going, I don't want to be an accessory to murder. I thought you were just going to scare him. I thought you were just going to rough him up a bit. I didn't think you were going to kill him. Possible? I mean, that's a movie right there. It is a movie. But don't you think, that, again, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's like, I'm saying it's there's a movie. There's something that doesn't. Because I buy it. Yeah, yeah. There's something that doesn't add up for me about Justin specifically. Why are you changing your story? Why are you lying? Why do you seem to feel so guilty? Did you bring this guy to this party thinking, again, he was going to get threatened, shoved around, beat up, whatever, but never thinking he was going to get killed? I mean, it's more than possible. I mean, it just that's that's the thing that, again, throughout all of this, I've, I've been scribbling notes throughout throughout all of this. That's the thing that keeps coming back for me is that it was like he was be And again, I don't know. Maybe he was getting out the two hundred dollars that ATM and I'm completely wrong. And this theory holds no water. That's possible, too. But all I'm saying is it feels to me like. Why did Alonzo want to go to this thing? Like, what was his real motivator? Was it because there was some girl there? And then to your point also that she was only 15, but these other two guys were in their 30s. Why would they be at that party? Is it possible either they were called in the moment by somebody going like, you're going to want to get a load of this, or was it premeditated? Was this a setup? Was Alonzo being lured there because of some prior beef with somebody else? That also may take the Boons and Tiffany off the table. Is there somebody else that had some sort of beef with him for some reason? I don't know that it feels like this was random. I may have thought it was random if Justin hadn't changed his story so many times. And then said one thing but be photographed and videoed doing something else. I may have thought it was more random. But that to me, to me, the linchpin lies in Justin and the fact that he seems so guilty now and he seems like he's tortured by it to use a word even sure that says to me he was young at the time you know being offered 200 bucks or however much money or whatever maybe he was paid some money before and then some money after he delivered who knows It just doesn't add up. So to me, it's like a young kid being offered some amount of money. Like, all you got to do is bring him here, man. That's all you got to do. He did his job. I got to go get cigarettes. He leaves. And then, oh my God. He's all of a sudden gone missing? To me, I'm just saying. And then it ultimately also feels, again, got to give a shout out. That it feels like the cops knew something. Again, this connection to this judge. Just the connection in general in this community. 
Was it potentially this restaurant freezer? Maybe, maybe not. That feels far-fetched, but it also doesn't. Who knows? It's just so crazy that you had pointed out, like, again, what are the odds that they search and do six separate searches and then suddenly they're like, you know what? Go ahead. You check. See what you can find. We didn't find anything. And then they go and check and within half an hour? It's like he was placed there. Yeah. So it just feels very like they were waiting for the family to go so the family would be the one to find them, find him or something. You know, which is crazy. But I just, I don't get what's going on. I have a lot of questions. The only thing I have an answer to is would a woman or a girl of any age have hit on him at a party? And the answer is yes. And I'm sorry Blanche held off as long as she could. She did great. He was an attractive man. And uh, I, so I, if it was you, Tiffany, I get the flirting. <laughs> I get it. I don't get anything else that happened, but I get that part. But there's just so much that's just, it doesn't sit right. And I need to believe that this better autopsy, and I feel much, I feel okay saying that that second autopsy will be better. I need to believe that there's something that's going to come out of this and about how his family has kind of just dragged on through all of this and maybe getting their hopes up, putting it on the show, and then their hopes get up again by the body gets exhumed and all of this. And I just need to believe that something is going to come out of this. And there are so many things it could be. But Absolutely. I mean, again, you know, a lot of them, even even the friends in question said he wasn't a big partier. They didn't party with him a lot. What was his M.O.? What was Alonzo's M.O. for showing up to that party? What would draw him there an hour away? Why would he go? Was it because there was somebody else there he wanted to see? Was it because one of his friends was pushing really hard? This is going to be really fun. You got to come, whatever. It just feels to me like had he not known these guys... He was probably not going to end up at this party. So therefore, it feels like the truth or something that will lead to the truth lies in those guys. And again, my money's on Justin. Saying that you got lost and that your car broke down and then there's photos of you at an ATM with someone else and going to a strip club, your credibility does not look great. It, there's something there's something off and I don't know Feels what it like is there's something off not to mention yeah. these guys who are like this is my best friend we're super close I can't believe this they never took part in any search party doesn't make sense also how many people do you know who are like 18 and they're like my best friend is a guy who's 23 that I met four years ago yeah, that's the other thing. Like, they lived in the same town for four years, but I don't know when they officially met. Because, again, what 19-year-old dude is going to be like, oh, cool, you're like 14, 15? We can be friends. It's like, really? I don't know about that. So, I yeah. Well, listen, I think the good news is that obviously this case has been reopened, that this new autopsy has been done, that it feels like we are maybe 
making our way towards hopefully new evidence, new suspects, any suspects officially being named for that matter. And that hopefully we will eventually get justice for Alonzo Brooks because obviously it's a long time coming and it just feels like this one really feels like, again, the fact that his body was not consistent with one that would have been in water for a month. The stuff in his pockets looked pristine as though it had never touched water. It feels to me like somebody has to know something more than somebody. People. Some people need to know things. And the hope is, of course, that the truth comes out because obviously we want to get justice uh, for Alonzo Brooks and his family. Christy Oxborough, you knocked it out of the park. This was a total wild ride (laughs) and a case that we talked about before. So much new stuff. So kudos on that. Well, you know what? I'm going to say it. I've grown. You have. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Well, you know what else has grown? This podcast. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Thank you very much. (laughs) And that's me transitioning into a very exciting announcement. Because if you have listened to this podcast regularly, first of all, thank you so much. What a gift. Second of all, you'll know that one Lauren Ash has a fascination with something called serial killers. Obviously, I've dipped my toe into that kind of pond uh, in the Elisa Lamb episode when I talked in great detail about Richard Ramirez. I did a, a very brief kind of summation report on, uh, on him. And uh, listen, it was a joy for me. I shouldn't say that about death, but it really was. So we've decided that going forward, we're going to have some very special episodes where none other than me, Lauren Ash, is going to talk about some serial killers. Rather than doing a whole a whole series, a whole season, because we know there have been a lot of requests, people have been very interested, suggesting why don't we do a whole season about serial killers. And we've thought, instead of that, let's pepper them in. Let's pepper them in. So every so often, every few episodes, we are going to have myself do some very special episodes about serial killers. And so I'm very excited to announce that our next episode of the show is going to be about a serial killer I just learned about recently. Shout out to Carla Renata, who played Janet on Superstore. She had me come on her YouTube show and prior to... She suggested a true crime documentary I'd never heard before about a specific serial killer. I watched it and I I texted Christy immediately and said, look, if we're going to do serial killers, we got to talk about this one because it's someone I've never heard of before. And I think it's important to tell this story. And that is The Grim Sleeper. It is a unbelievable story that really, I don't feel like, is very well known. And I think that the the story needs to be told. So I am so excited that we're going to bring that to you next week. In the meantime, give us a follow on social media. Facebook, uh, Instagram, at True Crime and Cocktails. Twitter, at Not Detectives. Again, give us a check out on Patreon, patreon.com slash True Crime and Cocktails. And go to our website, truecrimeandcocktails.com, for anything else, as well as the full unedited Zoom episodes of this show. Christy, do you have anything else you wanted to say, you wanted to hit, you wanted to add before we go? I just want to say one could not be prouder to watch you grow 
am I slightly shitting my pants to drive this bus more often? <laughs> the answer is yes. So be kind, dear listeners. Um, no, Listen, but you, you, you always, always are. Do a great job. You always are. And uh, yeah, I could not be more excited for this. And you're going to knock it out of the park. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Well, listen, before we go, Christy, do you want to say goodnight to the people? Goodnight, people. Goodnight, everybody. My name is Will Himes, and I am a ghostwriter, meaning I write other people's books for them. And I have a podcast called I Will Write Your Book, which are recordings of my meetings with my eccentric clients, such as a woman blocked after one sentence of a children's book about her dogs, a romance novelist who dislikes sex, and a man proud of having sampled everything in his local grocery store. This podcast has been described as fully improvised, played by some of the best comedians on the planet Earth. Hey, that's pretty good. That's I Will Write Your Book on Campfire Media. Campfire.